contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. I'll give you a choice. I could put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. You maniacs! What is a man? When we are successful, we will be. We have a real chance at this. Appalachia, as textured and full of contrasts as any place in the United States, so are its speechways. Pen, pen. Subtle differences, pen, even within the same pen, county. Pen, pen, hard heart, pull, pull. Some hear a hillbilly caricature. To linguist Kirk Hazen, it's another slice of American pie. If you speak a language, you have a dialect of that language. And some of those dialects are stigmatized, some of them are not stigmatized. And that's a social judgment and not a linguistic judgment. The West Virginia University professor traveled to Wyoming County recently, recording oral histories and the ways people tell them. Guess what our class flower is supposed to be for my graduation? Uh, A pine cone. Our class color is supposed to be camo. Often ridiculed, mountain speech is getting some academic respect these days. It's a very highly systematic uh, uh, grammar. It's it's quite patterned. Walt Wolfram says there's been a kind of renaissance of mountain culture. So people will say, yeah, I'm hillbilly and proud of it. And that includes my speech, too. They don't understand. Part of Hazen's mission is to show mountain kids that their accent is nothing to be ashamed of. Ginger Smith and Pete Colacerto agreed to be guinea pigs and talk. We were doing cheers for like freshmen and sophomores before like the seniors and juniors even came out. They also read from a script. Sam decided to tour the countryside. His golf, his golf partner, Pike, was gone, and his daughter was playing in the Fife. <laughs> Working with Hazen, graduate student Jordan Lovejoy, a Wyoming County native. Lovejoy well. was self-conscious about her now-faded accent. I remember growing up, my dad saying ice cream, and I would be like, that's not right. You should say ice cream. Then she took Hazen's class and learned that her dad was doing a perfectly natural thing called eye ungliding. I think that when people learn how language works, it is more empowering for them. Smith also knows what it's like to be judged. I'm wanting to go to college. I'm wanting to make something out of myself, and I have an accent. I mean... I don't see anything wrong with me having an accent. And neither do those who know how language really works. Pill. Alan pill, Reed, Associated pill, Press, pill, Pineville, West Virginia. Peel, peel, tyke, take. And straight from the holler, it's episode 55 of Behind the Schemes for 
July 26, 2021. I'm Booberry, Mothman in the Miniocalypse. Yeah, and wishing a very fine July day, wherever you may be. My name is Lavish. And joining us, we have the man, the myth, the legend himself, straight from the hills of West Virginia. It's Spaz, a.k.a. my father. Yes, I am your father. <laughs> yes, I am Spaz. <laughs> Two facts to kick it off. Well, that's a solid foundation to begin. How's it going tonight? Good. Very good, very good. Well, uh, we asked you to join us tonight because we wanted to talk a, a little bit, and I wanted to get on record some uh, stories or information, maybe, about uh, West Virginia, which is a place that I've spent a good amount of time at, and you were born and raised there for a number of years until you moved away, and uh, it's, a, it's a cool little time capsule of a state in, in a lot of ways, uh, which I've come to really appreciate over the past couple of years. It is very much stuck in time. <laughs> it's a few decades behind. Oh, yeah. 20, 30 years, I think, was one of the quotes I'd heard in uh, one of the videos I'd found. Mm-hmm. Feathered hair and uh, lots of highlights. All that good stuff is still going on there. Oh, people got the Farrah Fawcett going? Oh, yeah. That's that's how you know. It's coming coming around now. I see a lot of bobs there. But there used to be a lot of frosted hair, a lot of of feathers, (laughs) a lot of mullets, still mullets. (laughs) So you're going from the, like, 80s, 90s into the the 2000s with the bobs. And and those metallic fisher caps. We, uh, we typically like to start the show off um, before we get any further. We have a tarot card for tonight. Uh, I guess I should ask if you were okay before we started. <laughs> um, isn't, didn't Jesse, my uh, cousin, or was it Casey, uh, that drew tarot cards right, was right before I was born? Mm, I think it was Jesse. I guess my uh, cousin had predicted through the cards my my coming into this world. Yep. First time we were like, oh, oh yeah, right, that's funny. Then she did it a second time. And we were like, mm, not laughing that time. And along came Kaylee. Uh-oh. <laughs> I didn't realize she did it mm-hmm. for both of us. <laughs> oh, yeah. First time was funny. Second time was... Uh, Okay, maybe this won't be funny this time. Third time, it's like, please put the deck away. <laughs> it's better than that Fisher Price uh, Ouija board they had. It was pretty funny. Oh my god, <laughs> I didn't know that one. Um, and oh yeah, Fisher Price used to make a Ouija board, a little plastic triangle, a little uh, piece of magnifying plastic in the middle to go over the letters. Little fold open Ouija board. Sounds like a recipe for some summoning some plastic demon. <laughs> but the uh, the card that we have for tonight is the Five of Chalices from the Tarot de Marcel. In this card, the central cup is decorated with brilliant flowers that mark the emergence of new emotions that can go even further, such as fanaticism. It is a discovery of faith or euphoric emotion that brings us to a supreme being or whom we think to be so. 
It represents a failure or an unsuccessful attempt to fulfill one's ambitions. You will feel terribly disappointed that a situation that has not yet happened as you had hoped, and instead, discovering new horizons, you will regret your fate. And it reveals that the cause of this regret is more emotional than financial. You are quickly disappointed by life and increasingly pessimistic about your future. The Five of Cups means that you have a hard time giving up the past and learning from your mistakes. It is often it often reflects a person who is stuck in the past and unable to open up to something else, which makes him or her miss new opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the card is, uh, in most renditions, it's a woman or somebody who's looking off to the side. They're very sad. They're usually crying. And it's the Five of Cups. Two cups are upright, and three cups are on the ground, spilt. And uh, the person is looking right above it. The cups usually signify uh, wealth, or they signify um, joyous overcoming of, of something, or, or some you know imbibing. Uh, my my cup overfloweth, that sort of a thing. And so when the cups are spilt over like that, usually represents like what you're saying. It's missed opportunity. It's somebody is is letting their sorrow get in the way of of. Um, finding wealth that's within their grasp. It's just right below them. If only they would get themselves together to pick up those cups. So, yeah, it's kind of a sad card. Um, bittersweet. Yeah, but, you know, all good cards sometimes must come from a reflection of bad card. Or sometimes uh, if you want to move forward in life or, or improve yourself, it's because you went through a bad time or because you've suffered. And it's because of that suffering that you bettered yourself. So in times like these, the card can be both good and bad. And to kind of wrap it up, this card is also about values and knowing what you really want and what will make you really happy. It predicts a grace period after obvious disappointments. Sometimes disappointments are needed to discern lies and illusions and to free to free you to find what is truly valuable in life. Once you have made this transition, you will be free to seize news, new opportunities. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, yeah. Um, and if you want to check out a picture of what that card looks like, you can go to zososcorner.substack.com uh, or check out our chat room on the uh, Zero Node uh, On the yeah. IRC. If you, if you want to be a computer whiz, you can find us... Uh, our IRC channel shouldn't be too hard. If you go to our website, there should be ways to find it. The main way to get on it is usually through that Kiwi service, yeah, whatever that is, uh, which goes up or down. But there are a lot of ways you can get onto an IRC uh, relay. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. You'll feel like a hacker doing it. Yeah. Um, but speaking of conquered wealth and and taking advantage of, of opportunities. You you had a fun weekend. You took advantage of something interesting. I did. Um, I actually worked uh, worked my first festival gig, a music festival, for the first time since uh, the last one would have been in, like, August, maybe September of 2019, but this was the first actual entertainment gig that I've had since uh, everything shut down. It was cool. A real big outdoor venue. Lots of people showed up. Lots it wasn't a bunch of masks. It wasn't a bunch of craziness. It was just a good old fashioned outdoor concert. Yep. It was a uh, music, music festival, a small music festival. 
it was cool. I mean, no one, no one was harassing anybody about any of the uh, COVID stuff for the most part. I did see a couple of folks in masks and, you know, it's outdoors. It's <laughs> 99 degrees, mm-hmm. um, but more power to you as long as you're not going to flip your shit long, on anybody else. As long as you're hydrated, as long as you stay hydrated out there, wear sunscreen. But yeah, did about 38 hours and two and a half days. Um, so I'm a little, little run ragged, but feeling pretty mm-hmm. good. Otherwise it turns out Carrie Underwood is a pretty remarkable harmonica player, which I didn't know. That's sweet. I heard you saying that she blows a mean harp. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. I was, uh, not expecting like that. that, you know, some, some people, some of the most random people, they, they do a good harp. They, People like uh, Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin and Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones. You'd be very surprised how good they are at playing harmonica. They used to do it live all the time. And uh, it it really adds something. It's really a great instrument to know how to play well. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. It can come in handy. I've tried it a couple times. I can't get it to stick, though. It's not easy. It's not as easy as it looks. It's a real instrument that you got to give time to. And with all the different keys and shit, too. Just fucking, you know. If you got an E or you got a, uh, a G, then you can do just about most. Or a B, uh, B flat. Between those three, you can do most blues songs. But you got to know what you're doing. And if you would like to help us uh, figure out and know what we're doing and maybe buy us a couple of harmonica lessons, you can also go to loveislit.com and... Click on that donate button and become a freak of hazard producer to the show tonight. If we were to to use the funds that we get from the show and get harmonica lessons, we would absolutely publish that information and we would let you guys know that that is what we are doing with them. So uh, just so you know, full disclosure here. But yes, please, it's a value for value system. We don't have any ads. We don't have any. Uh, corporate sponsors whatsoever because that way we get to talk about whatever we want talk about whatever we want without without you know having them pull our ads yep. you don't have any ads our show our rules man yeah my body my rules do a commercial you're off the artistic roll call every word you say is suspect you're a corporate whore and uh end of story told you who was behind the schemes, but you'll never know who's behind the screens. Call our creep phone now and leave a screen mail. We'll play it on the show. 612-263-SEXY. 612-263-SXXY. That's 612-263-7999. That's the easiest way that you can produce this show with us tonight and call 612-263-7999 and leave us a scream mail. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the, the question of the night is is what? What should the question of the night be, Spaz? Scream. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Question of the night. Uh, question should be Why? Uh, a classic a classic in play people now this is a good one you can really chew into it so please call us at 612-263-7999 and ask uh, I'm sorry answer 
The very simple question, why? Groovy. That's right. Is it that simple, though, really? Well, I mean, I'd say first step, <laughs> first step, you got to turn around, look at those two cups, and realize you get that phone number you can call. <laughs> it's only simple from a syntax point of view. It's, it's so simple. It's only four characters. You know, it's great. I love it. It's not a, it's not a simple question. Did uh, I think we hit everything. Is that right? We did a chat. We got our show notes. We got, oh, you can listen to the show every Monday's night at uh, 7.30 specific. Specific, not, yeah. 9.30 yeah. chemtrail and 10.30 beast time. That's right. Over there on the beast coast where beast it gets coast. late faster, faster than for anyone else here. <laughs> Yep. Yes. For those who are listening on the East Coast or from all over the place, we've had listeners. Every once in a while, we get one in Europe. And for those people, uh, I hope you're enjoying your breakfast. And you never know. It's a, it's a global stream. So thanks for tuning in. Behind the Schemes. Hell yeah. That's the Scaly Show tab at our website, loveislit.com. Business is done. Now it's time for fun. Now it's time for fun. Let's have a sip. So in the process of gathering all these clips, uh, there was one thing that stood out the most to me, and that's the dialect. Through and through, it, it's one of those things where I had to sit and really listen and pay attention for like the first 15 minutes until it started coming back. And then I just realized that everybody sounded like my uncle. <laughs> it helps if you have somebody to specific if you want to get an accent. Right. And think about how they talked naturally. Yeah. And I never really like I would go up to West Virginia to visit a lot. And, um, you know, we, we would take care of some stuff up there. But uh, I never never really lived up there. But, um, Dad, you're from there. Um, mm-hmm. What was. Uh, what's the origin of the Appalachian dialects? Well, it's pretty much uh, Scottish and Irish and with some English in it. Uh, the hills are where a lot of the, the immigrants of that type went because it reminded them of their home countries, especially the Scottish. And um, they went there to get away from everybody else so they could go and uh, be on that mountaintop and live their life how they wanted to without any government or anybody interfering with them or telling them what to do. And it's, it's kind of state that isolated, really. Uh, so something that's, that's funny about it, if you will watch shows like uh, Walking Dead, you'll notice there's a lot of British actors on there. That's because the dialect of the hillbillies is still so close to the English accent that they, those guys seem to do it better than Americans. So that's why you'll see Rick and Maggie and a lot of these other characters are actually British doing this southern accents. Well, I have to say, I think there's a conspiracy where you'll always see British guys playing Americans and gals playing Americans. They just they just love bringing in the British people to play those those American roles. But anyway, please continue. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the, the freedom is in the mountains. We can all agree on that. If you want to be free, you got to go up in the mountains. Yep. 
and they would go up in there as just as far as they could and you know stake out their holler and that was their land <laughs> living the dream until all the other corporations come in all the, the loggers and all the coal miners and started using the, the you know the poor labor force that was there and the less educated and just use them you know, you're, you're going to come and do this work where the only jobs around. We're going to cut all the trees around your mine land out from you, and we're going to give you this fake money to use at our fake stores, and you're going to like it. <laughs> Charge a fake inflation for them. Prices through the roofs at company stores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good old call script. Well, I'd like and, to. Uh, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. All those towns and and. Uh, Big company houses and the little worker houses and the big stores, they're all sitting there. They're still there. I'm sure you remember the Itman store, don't you, Adrian? The big <laughs> booberry. The big. <laughs> I knew I did that. The big, uh, the big rock store there at Itman. We used to stop and look at some when we go through Mullins. Mm-hmm. The big rock one. And uh, the coal camp that we go through to go up to mom's house there. You know, they got the the little store right there where I always used to say that's where my school used to be. That's the company store. That's the Island Creek store that's still standing there. And the bigger houses that are two stories are the boss's houses and the little tiny houses that are all around it are the worker houses. And people still live in them, still live in them to this day. The miners do still? The the people that are there, a lot of the, the descendants of the miners, yeah. Wow. In my family, uh, I'm the only one that didn't go into the mines. I'm also the only one that went to college. Mm-hmm. So all of the males in my family uh, were miners, my brothers. Wow. And uh, my father died from back black lung, my grandfather, and uh, he had lost his legs. You know, so he had to work, walk around on crutches for a good portion of his life. Wow. Very, How many very brothers did one. you have? Uh, three. That's a quick count. That's probably wrong. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, two of them worked until the, uh, middle of the eighties until they moved out to North Carolina. Mm. So it's, it's pretty recent. But so you had worked security as well at one point, right? For one of the mines. I did. I did for a summer job. I worked security at one of the closed mines because it's a, Big thing to go in there and steal all the copper out of all the generators and everything and sell the copper wire. Sure. And it's dangerous. A lot of open mines. Hmm. And you had the connections there, so you got a summer job and nice. Uh, I was just mostly sitting around in a place with a phone and no electricity because it was nothing was powered. And if you saw anybody, you basically got on the phone and called the police. <laughs> 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 they didn't even give you like you know some give you a big old gun or something you could shoot the guy uh, nope just a really pointy finger to dial up that rotary phone yeah. <laughs> this guy's got good hands he's got good pointing fingers he can be the guard yeah pretty hilarious one of the uh, very many instances of where I'm lucky to still be alive probably <laughs> I got uh, I got some cues uh, to kind of uh, wet the palate with the Appalachian dialect. Um, 
it's very sing-songy. I always really enjoy listening to folks of this nature talk. Uh, it's some really wholesome, like people of the earth, uh, but the American version. Um, and here's clip one. Talking about like that, like if you had some wood out in the yard, instead of saying carry it in the house, you'd say tote it in the house. And like if you had something that you wanted to uh, put in a paper bag, you'd put it in a paper poke, you know, instead of a paper bag. Well, the way people talk around here, I guess it'd be what more like you call hillbilly style or something, I guess. I don't know, just mountain talk. Most of your local people have your mountain talk. That's why you can tell the mountain people from your outsiders by their language they use. Uh, say, I'll see you over yonder. That means I'll see you like in Winesville. Uh, it's a mountain top, kind of. Never, nothing stops. It's like a singing, you know. We're kind of like we're singing. Lita said we're singing, not talking, you know. The, uh, the paper bag one was not one that I was familiar with. Poke. Poke, yeah. Putting a poke. Hmm. I probably cleaned it up by the time you got old enough to pay attention. Still get made fun of or, or <clears throat> here in the miniocalypse or the way I say pen. Pen? Pen. Well, mm-hmm. It's a pen. What, what do you got on your jacket? A pen. What are you writing with? A pen. <laughs> oh, yeah. sound weird. How do they say pen? Pen. 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 <laughs> Gives a crap. Who are these people go, making fun of you? You Ditch go to bags. the theater to play. You, yeah, you go to the theater to play guitar. To play guitar. Get, guitar. Yeah, go to the theater to play guitar. See, what I like the way to say theater. I, I wish people still said the theater the way like that. Because that's, that's a way classier way to say it. That's uh, Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth uh, oh, my God. Elizabethan. Elizabethan English, yes, uh, Victorian English, perhaps, or something. It's it's mm-hmm. like it's so um, regal. The theater. That being yeah, said, it's funny how it's got such a stigmatism to it that everybody, if you if you hear that that dialect, people automatically think you're stupid. Right. So it's something that we, I, and a lot of us have, you know, we actively worked out. But when we go back, we talk the way we used to because they can't understand you any more than other people can understand them. So when we go back to uh, Pineville or anything, that's the way we talk, like we used to. Isn't it strange how homogenous the American English wants to be in the sense that there are a lot of people, I think, who try to kind of ditch their, their regional dialects so that they can not be made fun of, not be ridiculed by people. It's, that that implies that there is a, a correct way to do it, and that's strange. And I don't know who enforces that, why there has to be a correct way uh, socially. Yeah, when we were in theater, uh, you know, this is something that come up. We talked about it a lot because of doing the plays and things, and there was it was always a. Um, a uh, bronchite midwestern was the the goal hmm. so that was sort of the uh you know it wasn't new jersey it wasn't new york it wasn't south carolina it, that seemed to be the more nominal language that they shot for at that time hmm. would that be like a chicago area or 
something a little more moral? Uh, I really don't know what specific area she was shooting for. I mean, she would just use, uh, our teacher would use the, the newscasters at the time. And bronchite was one of those. And uh, it mm-hmm. was just considered a neutral Midwestern dialect. Right. Really not having an accent, which it was. Just, you know, it's we, the didn't know, we, we didn't know we talked weird until we left West Virginia. Right, right. Until so you get, go to some city or somewhere and they go, well, they make fun of you. But well, it's funny. Yeah, how was, the, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, just the newscaster angle with um, Stephen Colbert, who also is from the Midwest, who also, or he's from the South. South Carolina, he, yeah. He's from South Carolina. And he, you know, was, you know, I think one of like at least nine or ten kids, the youngest and he had a, a he fought the accent, and the way that he did it was by mimicking news anchors, mm-hmm. and that's how he shook it, and that's why he talks the way he talks now. You know, as a man in his fifties, it, it stuck with him his whole life. That sort of dialect, that sort of uh, inflection. Oh, I thought he only talked that way because of all the blood of children from the DNC that was in his mouth. Uh, hey, man, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble with the Pope, okay? So don't, don't make me talk too much shit on Stephen Colbert. I mean, he <laughs> sucks, but let's, you know. <laughs> the Pope's a son of a bitch. Oh, God. Did I say, oh, God. I said that. I'm so sorry, Mr. Pope. Well, I got, uh, uh, I got three more clips of this, uh, of, of this regional dialect. And they're all pretty short. I'll just go into the next one. Everybody hears about Graham County, don't they? That sounds like my uncle through and through. <laughs> how good the people is, how they'll help you. I run into people I don't know, never seen them in my life, and uh, I help them any way I can. Somebody said one day, said, you'll get knocked in the head. I said, well, if I do, I'm just knocked. They're just good-hearted. Everybody you meet, just 99% of them. If I didn't live here, I'd move, wouldn't you? It's also the type of area where if you're driving through, everybody will wave, which mm-hmm. I see that in a lot of areas, but it's very consistent there. Yes. It was weird being in Colorado and nobody would ever look at you or say hi or anything. And we used to tell them about how, you know, people would wave at you if you're driving down the road and they were just flabbergasted. Why are they waving at you? Did they know you? No. I have no clue who they were, but they wave and you wave back. <laughs> I miss it. You know, it's it's fun. It's like it's it is strange though, and it's something that I think a lot of people aren't have never experienced. They've never experienced being friendly with just like strangers all the time. You know? Yeah, if you go to a restaurant and they come up to the table and they're, what can I get for you, sugar? Or honey, or anything like that. And Darling. Uh huh. In other states they consider that sexist and all kinds of stuff. It's Oh, you get fired for that. You get fired for saying something like that on the spot. That's and that's bad. That's a bad thing. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a strange change. Um, when we were uh, preschool, I think it was preschool. We went to uh, New York, and I went to preschool there. And when I came back to West Virginia, um, 
you know, I was things, I was saying things like, you know, I shan't do that again. And after I got beat up a couple of times, I was back to, I ain't doing that no more. (laughs) (laughs) I shan't do that again. That's funny. It's, is that a that's that's very English? You would pick that up in New York. New Yorkers are very English. They want to be very English. They, yes, they want to, this the was Manhattan. London. Yeah, this was yeah. Manhattan Island in the ritzy section, so it was it was pretty proper. Mm-hmm. And doing that no more. And like I say, we, we didn't know. Uh, I'll go. I'll go back to the theater class again. It was funny because we had a girl from Long Branch. And this area, you can't get much more thick, uh, light, right. And we would go through these words in, in, the, in the theater class and tell you the right way to say them. And it was so funny because, you know, no, you're, you said you're saying lot. It's light. She says, that's what I said, <laughs> light. And it came around to me and the one that hit me was woman. And people always make fun of the way I say woman. And they're saying, you're not saying it right. It's woman. I'm like, whoa, man. You mean like slow down? I mean, whoa, what man. am I saying? I'm, I'm saying woman. That's what I'm saying, is it? So even though I had uh, a little uh, more slight accent than some of the others, you know, it, I had it too, and I could tell, especially when I got out to other people and other cultures and other states. And I still, I still do it. I still catch words here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I can definitely come up, hear them, and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I know where that one came from. <laughs> oh, booberry, say woman. Woman mm. sounds fine to me. Must be the way I say it. Uh, it's too bad. I I like the way you say it, Spaz. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's good. The class. It's got the woman. Reminds me of that. Uh, so I married an axe murderer. <laughs> slam slam poetry scene. I haven't seen it in a long time. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. I do remember the the movie with uh, Dolly Parton and uh, oh shoot, what's his name? Rambo. Oh, Sly Stallone. Yeah, Sly Stone. Sil- uh, Sylvester. <laughs> Sly Stone. Uh, Sylvester. Yeah. Whatever his name is. Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. That one. Sylvester yeah. Stallone. I, I meant yeah, Sly Stallone, but then Sly Stone came out, and Sly Stone's a, a person, too. So that's where the confusion comes in. Sorry about that. Yep. Can't think of the name of the movie, but Dolly Parton's trying to teach him how to, you know, he's got that. Jersey, New York, whatever it is, accent, and she's trying to teach. Oh, hey, yo, oh, yeah, yeah, trying to teach him how to talk like a hillbilly, and she's saying dog, say dog, and he's going the hog, the hog, (laughs) the hog, (laughs) dog. It's a dog. Yo, dog, hog. The movie was Rhinestone. I've never heard of it. Rhinestone. Yeah, you never heard of it. You'll have to go back and watch it. I'm adding it to the list, Booberry. I'm adding it to the list. We have a list of movies <laughs> that we're all going to watch, all of us together here in the green room. Uh, as soon as I find the the accounting pages. Oh, you're going to have to all 
find a uh, shutdown blockbuster to get the VHS for that one. Well, we'll I'll make we sure to have that. a pallet of bricks there ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa there, George Soros. We don't need to do any of that, okay? We just need to... <laughs> do you think... Uh, you think JCD John C. Dvorak walks by one of the pallets and he's like, "There's something spooky going around these here parts." Exactly, and then he'd take a picture of it and then he'd put it in the newsletter, and he'd say, "I walked by this pallet of bricks, so don't tell me it's not happening." Well, uh, I want to get through these last two because uh, I've got a Shakespeare tie-in. I think that would be pretty pretty cool to listen through. But here's part three. We are 20 years behind the whole country. It's 20 years. 20 years. 20 and I would swap places with nobody. I feel much more comfortable here being 20 years behind everybody than I would be sitting in a lot of places and being so unco- miserable. You don't like your neighbor. You don't speak to your neighbor. You're you're bitter with the world. Atlanta's a good example. Or Raleigh. You drive down the street and everybody's wide open, blowing their horns and don't know nobody and don't want to know nobody and don't care about nobody. It's quite a bit different up there. Well, I lived in Washington, D.C. about four and a half years. And I just seem to be in hell with my back broke. Just live right. <laughs> People are so good to each other here. Rather be in hell. With <laughs> back broke. It, it reminds me of the Moonshiners on the show The Moonshine. That's the it's the same they got the same accent. Yeah, it is. That's that's Jim Tom. He was on Moonshiners. He is a moonshiner. Yeah. He was with uh, popcorn Sutton. Uh he was at the beginning of one of those videos. But uh, Tim Tom, I mean, Jim Tom, his voice is instantly recognizable. Yeah, no doubt about it. I've played popcorn on one of our intermissions. I I didn't have time to gather any any for um, this episode. But old school moonshiner, and he's one of those dudes that has a lot of uh, coveted stills. Um, It's a very interesting show. I'm not usually one for... Reality TV, but Moonshiners, I enjoy it. Pretty good. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's right here in Danville. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where all those places are, don't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hardy, yeah. <laughs> Moonshine capital of the world. Oh, yeah, we live in Hardy. I got to go there. Uh, now that I know you guys, County. I'm going to come visit, man. We're going we're gonna to drink some shine. <laughs> Moonshine and the Dunkards and the. All the Scottish, that's where all the Scottish went. The others that went around this area, they went to the Franklin County, and it's still there. Everybody has that Scottish O's. There's a moose in the house. Let them out, let them out. Hmm. I love hearing the people talk up in that area. Franklin County, that's the southern side of the Virginia border, right? Near uh, Roanoke? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Is where we used to, when we lived out there at Hardy, go down to the Walmart and still get the, the milk with the, the fat in it and the glasses and the jars you shake it up. Honest to goodness milk. Beautiful. Yeah. God, I wish we had more of that shit over here. <laughs> you got none of that over here. Well, you could get it, but you got to, you know, you can't just go to the store. You got to. 
And, and then when you got to order it in, you know, it's not the same. You got to go down to the, yeah, anyway, sorry. Well, this one, uh, this one will wrap up and this is number four. Many of the words and expressions in mountain speech are unfamiliar to outsiders. Scots Irish settlers brought much of the vocabulary from Europe, but many new words and expressions were invented here by their descendants. There's just somebody coming up with a, a strange word is what it means. I mean, let's say you're tr- trying to get something done, you're building something, and you'll take a look at it, like the word Saigoglin. Uh, uh, you're looking at it, and it's all out of line, and you just might come up with the word Saigoglin. Uh, I do that myself. Uh, can't think of anything right off, but... Uh, I, I come up with a lot of new words myself. And so you get somebody standing around to hear that, and okay, it's Saigoglin. Say a carpenter has done a real poor job, and then you say, that's all Saigoglin, you know, it, he didn't have his wall straight or. Yeah, they stand back and look. If something like that, they say, I think Saigoglin. Mm-hmm. They say, I want you to look and say, what is it? If you're building some kind of a building, say, that's Saigoglin right yonder. And said, that old road going up there, and said, that thing's Saigoglin. These guys are meme masters. <laughs> this is like yeah, magic one oh one. Yeah. That's like Caddy Womper. Sidegoglin sure. wasn't one I was familiar with either. Uh it took me a side ogling is kind of what it sounds like. Side ogling. Yeah. For me that's what I heard. Yeah. Those uh a lot of those guys in those videos are more on the Kentucky. Right, right. Or in the Kentucky Hills. You can you can actually hear the differences between the mountains. <laughs> I was going to say they, that, yeah, they sounded just a little different than yeah. the ones we've listened yeah, to so could, far. If you go back to the Pineville one, you can hear how they talked, how, what their accent was like. And most of these videos right here have been Tennessee or Kentucky Hills <laughs> by the way they talk. So you're going in there. And now I just, now I'm just thinking of the moonshine guys. That's well, got a little bit of a bite to it. Put it on the back yep. end. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's that's and then but then you hear the Kentucky and it's it's different. It's uh, it, yeah, it's it's all about the tongue placement. That's what she yeah. said. But yeah, it's, it, it could it's, have been what too. he said too, or he said too. Okay, it's not sexist exclusive. Pig. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I remember right, popcorns from Tennessee, and uh, Tim Tom, I think was North Carolina. I mean, you can tell the difference between them just a little bit, and the the, the you know like cattywamper is is to us, and that's it's very regional. And to clarify, what is it exactly? What cattywamper? Something that's yeah. all crooked. Something that's Something all, all crooked. crooked. It's all jacked up. It's, okay. It's all crooked. So that survey says it's all crooked. Thank you, because I had no idea. That's 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 some deep stuff. Yep. Almost as deep as the creek. <laughs> uh, do either of y'all have any interest in uh, checking out Jennifer Gardner walking through some West Virginia slang? Dude, I'd check out Jennifer Gardner any day of the week, my friend. Uh, yeah, I'll spot check her. She had some of those wrong. She's not been in West Virginia in a while. <laughs> well, you give me a shout and I'll pause it. Uh, this one I didn't end up clipping. Uh, it's about three minutes long, so we'll uh, we'll take a nice little break, do some deconstruction about halfway through. 
Hi, my okay. name is Jennifer Garner. I grew up in the beautiful mountain state of West Virginia, and I'm going to teach you a little bit of West Virginia slang. A winder is a, a window. See, it's not southern. It's go stand by the winder. Um, pretty is pretty. You look pretty. You, I have to say you look downright pretty. A pie supper, it's an organized kind of supper where you would be auctioning or selling off pies. Have me a pie supper for the PTA. I've been to pie suppers at my church. A mess is, um, it's another unit of measurement, isn't it? It's like, that's, um, that's a mess of, that's a mess of taters you got there. If I had a, just a sip of wine or if I had spoken to anyone from West Virginia in the last half hour, this would all sound very different. Mater. Is that like a tater? A tomato. It's a tomato. A youngin is a youth, a person with youth, a young person. I was talking to me a couple of youngins over there, and they were saying that, that, that they couldn't find their maters. Biscuits are really big in West Virginia, and a cat's head is a big biscuit. What West Virginia is known for is Tudor's Biscuit World, and there you can get yourself a cat's head biscuit and a sausage gravy. Uh, wash. I gotta wash my car. I, I Washington. Gotta, I gotta wash in the creek. A skiff, a skiff is a... I think it's a light dusting of snow. It's just a skiff of snow out there. It's fine. You can drive. It's just a skiff. Never heard of skiff either. Uh, no, that's one I had. I don't think I really heard. Hmm. Yeah. She's from skiff, that Morgantown part, right? It's a little more Pennsylvania. Yeah, she's up, a little. She's up north. She's not in real mountains. Yeah. <laughs> Gets into that German yeah. Pennsylvania area. A skiff's a small boat, isn't it? That's that's what I was yeah. thinking. <laughs> Maybe she just got that one dead wrong. I don't know. And made her. I mean, that was pretty obvious. She's like, made her. She had to think about it. It's like, you're not from West Virginia. Yeah. You don't know what a tater or a mater is. <laughs> Fact check false. Yeah, you've been called out, Jennifer Garner. Garnish. That's even your real name. Yeah, it's probably not. Uh, but I do think that she is from Morgantown, and uh, there's that big college, Morgantown University, right? And uh, wait, Dark Lord Arcade met popcorn, and he tried to sell tried to sell you moonshine. Why is that oh. not read? I bought moonshine from him. <laughs> Did you buy moonshine from popcorn? Because I would have bought moonshine from popcorn if he tried to sell me moonshine, and then I would have had him drink it with me, and I'd be like, "So I bought your moonshine. Are you gonna have some with me?" And just do another. That poor man was drink so goddamn much. We we would like to start our own very special brand of behind the schemes moonshine. It's on we, our, yes, it's on our to do list. <clears throat> That's like number two on the list of things we need to do. Yeah, it's like number one, produce the show. Number two, <laughs> make moonshine. Make a moonshine brand behind the schemes <laughs> moonshine brand industry mm-hmm. vertical integration. I'm talking supply chains. We're going to have a, a global connection. We're going to go on Shark Tank. It's going to be the fucking shit. It's going to be lit. Can I cuss? I'm sorry. Is is it, Are we cussing? Sorry. I, I realize whenever we have a guest, I cuss a lot. So is it right if I cuss, Pass? This is not okay. Or should I not cuss so much? Fucking cuss all you want. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I going to say... Don't don't be a bemrose about it, man. Don't Dude, be a bemrose. Not until now. All the time <laughs> I've been in this show, I've not needed a bell until now. Yeah. What you language my kids here on the show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
This this motherfucker hears me cuss more than anybody. Anybody. Yeah, uh, one one of the shows uh we follow, they're trying to make it a point to maybe curb the swearing a little bit, and I'm like, no, swear more. Mm-hmm. Like if if uh <laughs> if this was on the radio, I would just want to hear one constant beep for the most part. See, that would be funny if we beeped ourselves cuz beeping is funny to me. I think a lot of the Chappelle that? show stuff is funny with beeps. <laughs> Sorry, what's that? Have you seen the the count? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite fucking It's a perfect example of how funny videos. The beep is It's perfect I mean it doesn't need to break I mean, If it's gratuitous and every two seconds It's not that funny But if it's used the right way It's it's funny Yeah So Yeah yep. Maybe uh, 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 uh. Start uh, Getting some clips And seeing what we can make Just totally inappropriate oh, <laughs> Speaking of clips We got a clip Jennifer a garnish saying, uh, what did she say? She said, youths, oh, the youths, the people that have youth, the youth, the ones with youth. Just that whole string of things that she said about youth, youths. Oh, the youngins? The youngins. Youngins. Yeah. Youngins. I, there was something about that that, that mesmerized me. I, I must, I must have it. You want to go said. back? No, we won't listen to it now, but I just, I want to, I want to clip it for later. I'm going to clip it for later. I'm making a mental note so that I can make an actual physical real life note. You know, you know what I mean? Mr. Boobs, boobage. I mean, major boobage. I'm also at the point where I'm kind of running out of space for sticky notes. So don't worry about it. I have my own sticky notes. They were just regular Mm -hmm. notes yesterday. Now they're sticky. Well, uh, we'll finish the Miss Garner off here, I think. Buggy. It's a Ew. grocery shopping cart. That's another one that I've gotten flack over was Buggy. Buggy? Yeah. Which is, oh, okay. Like I a shopping that. cart. Mm-hmm. You don't call them buggies? Anything at the wheels is a buggy. Oh, yeah. That was your car. We're <laughs> <Poor> strong <laughs> buggy. Well, I, I never made it as far as calling a car a buggy, but... Uh, Definitely <laughs> gets gotten some looks over the years. Like, what what did you want me to get? <laughs> oh, Doom buggy. It's it's a specific kind of car though, like a Volkswagen bug. That's that's what I think of. But could reply to anything. Lorian calls the cart a carriage. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, Which is also what buggies, horse-drawn carriages. So that's also a, an old world term. Okay. It's all making sense. Uh, what was the... She's a fucking pilgrim, says Sir Spencer. Well, there you go. <laughs> Jamosey on to the carriage there, pilgrim. Um, you have seen the definition of fuck video on YouTube, haven't you? Definition of what video? Fuck. Fuck video? Mm-hmm. Define fuck video. Definition of fuck. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Is that the Nick Cage? It's all the different ways you can use the word. It could be a pronoun, a noun, a verb. Hmm. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. I thought you were talking about one of our listeners for Spencer who indeed creates fuck videos quite often. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'm suspicious that for our 100th episode, him and his beautiful wife will call in and they'll do something lewd. <laughs> well, while we're waiting for episode uh, 100, I, I can't let this pass. Perhaps one of the most interesting words in the English language today is the word fuck. Out of all of the English words that begin with the letter F, fuck is the only word that is referred to as the F word. It's the one magical word. Just by its sound can describe pain, pleasure, hate, and love. Fuck, as most words in the English language, is derived from German. The word fricken, which means to strike. In <laughs> English, strike. fuck falls Freaking into many sucks. medical categories. As a transitive verb, for instance, John fucked Shirley. As an intransitive <laughs> verb, Shirley fucks. Its meaning is not always sexual. It can be used as an adjective, such as John's doing all the fucking work. As part of an adverb, Shirley talks too fucking much. As an adverb enhancing an adjective, Shirley is fucking beautiful. As a noun, I don't give a fuck. As part of a word, abso-fucking-lutely or in fucking credible <laughs> And as almost every word in a sentence, fuck the fucking fuckers. As you must realize, there aren't too many words with the versatility of fuck. As in these examples, describing situations such as fraud, I got fucked at the used car lot. Dismay, <laughs> oh fuck it. Trouble, I guess I'm really fucked now. Aggression, don't fuck with me, buddy. Difficulty, I don't understand this fucking question. Inquiry, who the fuck was that? Dissatisfaction. I don't like what the fuck is going on here. Incompetence. He's a fuck off. Dismissal. Why don't you go outside and play hide and go fuck yourself? I'm sure you can think of many more examples. With all of these multi-purpose applications, how can anyone be offended when you use the word? We say use this unique, flexible word more often in your daily speech. It will identify the quality of your character immediately. Say it loudly and proudly. Fuck you. I love that. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> it's an immaculate classic, my friends. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that one. It's immediately going into the show notes. <laughs> So I can circle back for it. It says it all. Hide and go fuck yourself. (laughs) Hide and go fuck yourself. John fucked Shirley. (laughs) That's such a good one. That's been around for a little while now. Well, it's a classic classic video. I missed it. I was late to the train for that one. I used it quite often at work to especially send somebody outside thing. Why don't you go play hide and go fuck yourself? <laughs> he said one. to his coworker. Well, yeah. the uh, the last thing that I have for um I guess this kind of loose conversation we're having about language, um I got someone that's uh that you had sent me spaz. 
uh, was the what would English or sorry, what would uh, Shakespeare's English uh, what it would have sounded like? What would England say? And in uh, in this one, he actually kind of gets into, um, I guess, reconstructing. See, here's something I don't know. Like, where are they getting a lot of the examples of the dialect? Um, it, they're they're getting a lot of it from the the rhythm in which Shakespeare. I actually have a little. I, I've done a lot of fucking Shakespeare stuff, like just research into it, just through the years. It's from the, the iambic pentameter, a lot of it. They get to get a, a rhythm from how they spoke from that. And it, they get... A, I mean, there is sort of a tradition that goes with it, but it was so long ago. Shakespeare died in like 1602 or something. and uh, Yeah. It's, but they, they get to mimic that, that iambic pentameter all day long and kind of get... There's, there's some people that do a really good job of creating something that's very unique that nobody has ever heard that must be it. <laughs> it's just so bizarre and so like specific as to as to how it is. Uh anyway, I love Shakespeare. They make a lot more sense when they're spoken the way that they were spoken then. Exactly. But it's still incredible how much bearing that language has on the way that we talk, the way that the English language is structured now, especially just in casual whatever conversation, we, we take for granted how much Shakespeare impacted the language. But even then, it's, just, it's so different, but it still resounds today. Something for your show notes or to put on the back burner later is uh, something called the Carolina Brogue. And this is also English, and it's probably close to Shakespeare. Um, there are videos around on YouTube for that, so go look that up and listen to some of that if you want to get the opposite side of the, the Appalachian. Mm. I don't know if I can place this. Interesting. It's called Brogue. It's it's on the coast. It's on one little area. And like uh, it's, Outer it's Banks. A, a, mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. And it's, it's dying out because foreigners are moving in and the older people are dying out and the kids are, you know, learning to speak you know, the normal language of the day. Actually, I got a trailer here for it. It's, um, it's a movie about it called Carolina Brogue. Toy toy on the sand soil. Last night at waterfall, night moonshine, no fish. What you put matter, Uncle Wood? Uh, ho- hoi toy? What is it? It's, it's high, high, ho- it's hoi toy. <laughs> high tide. When they told me that hoi my kid, when I started teaching, that I was going to have to change my dialect so my kids would understand me. And I said, not where I'm going, they weren't, because they all talk just like I do. To me, the thing that is so interesting about dialects is the way in which it reflects a community and when, the way in which it reflects a culture. There's no other dialect in the United States that matches that coastal dialect. It has some features that are found nowhere else in the United States. A lot of people will look at me and say, what, are you, is that an Irish, English accent? Where are you guys from anyway, Australia or what? <laughs> in order to talk the way we talk, you, you really have had to have grown up here. Okay. After hearing it, I, I do remember this now. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just like the, the Boston accent, too. It's all those things are all connected to the, the roots of the English, and it's, it's 
funny how they all turned out so different. They all spun off from the same root. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's it's pretty much like an ancient language. It's just barely there. It's going to be gone soon. <laughs> That's definitely more rare than you know hillbilly or any of that stuff. I think that is one of the side effects of the internet. One of the unintended consequences is there's a lot of uh, there's even more homogenization of the language, and even more stuff is getting lost. But maybe that's just how it's always been. Maybe that's just how it is how it is. Oh, well, I wonder if that's part of a new world order agenda is to make a. We know one, it is <laughs> one language, one dialect. Beep boop boop. <laughs> we definitely know that that's part of the what is it the 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 canon. It's very it's very much in the canon of what, what those guys talk about doing all the time. Mm-hmm. I just want to clarify: Shakespeare died in sixteen sixteen. Uh, I said sixteen oh two earlier. I was wrong. Sixteen sixteen. Allegedly, I think he stopped writing in sixteen oh two. Yeah, I know. There's a <laughs> lot of conspiracies that he didn't exist. I personally think he did, just from. The real estate records alone, it seemed like he was a real dude. But whether yeah, he wrote all that Francis stuff. Bacon said so. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, we can go dig up Thomas Kidd and we can go dig up uh, Ben Johnson and ask them, I suppose. But we'll never know. Well, while we get that expedition, or uh, I guess that internment fund going, here's a guy talking like Shakespeare. And you know what Shakespeare really sounded like? He sounded like us. No. What? Had I missed something about Shakespeare? Something that took linguistic detective work to solve? Something like his poor spelling? It's there in the bad quartos, secretly scribbled by some bootlegger in the audience. It's there in the good quartos, in the first folio, too. Even on his own grave, Dig and Friend look almost childish. And his stacked they and that keep a simplified Germanic letter, Thorn. Hmm, this isn't his spelling. 1400. Chaucer's English was a very readable Tonga. So readable that 75 years later, Mr. Caxton imported a printing press to cash in on that readability. But one day, a merchant came to town and ordered eggs. A woman said, sorry, I speak no French. The merchant got mad. He wasn't speaking French, he just wanted some eggs. Someone jumped in to help. Oh, he means Aaron. Caxton griped. Lo, what should a man in these days no rate? Eggs or Aaron? Unleash the spelling debates. How to spell knicht when it was evolving into neat? Should correction have a C? And why, oh why, did Chaucer's vowels fall apart so fast by 1600, the ongoing great vowel shift was turning E into I, A became E, and O was U. Welcome to early modern English, Shakespeare's tongue. Good friend for Jesus' sake forbear to dig the dust and close it air. Not here, air. That's a fun little video. It's included in the show notes, as with everything else that, uh, that we've been playing. It, it sounds watch. like the puritanical English. It sounds like, yeah, uh, sounds like Plymouth Rock. Typical, like the typical dialect you'd associate with them from Hollywood. 
Don't it coming down in the, I don't know. Yeah, it's that made me made me think of another story to relate. Uh, the considering all these different regions and everything uh, after getting through uh, college in West Virginia, went down to Florida to go to graduate school and uh, did the good old Greyhound trek, cheap way of the day. And we ended up in uh, a bus station in Atlanta. So I went in to get some lunch, kind of pickish a little bit. And nice little uh, black gentleman behind the counter there and had all the different little Debbies hanging on the wall. And I said, oh, no. Could I have a moon pie, please? He's like, what? Could I have a moon pie? He's like, what? What are you talking about? A moon pie right there. Could, could you point at it? Right there, a moon pie. He's like, oh, you mean a moon pie? You from England or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. So, and Mom's always talking about uh, that little... Japanese family in Japan that has that West Virginia accent from the English they learned from her. Nice. Well, yeah, I guess I never really considered that. Wow. <laughs> America spreads its wings once more. <laughs> yeah, my, uh... yeah, it was pretty amazing. Nice. I think that pretty much covers it for um, all the language stuff that I had. Uh, there's some other supplemental stuff in there from like uh, Appalachian Magazine. Gets a little more into the history with the Scotch Irish. Um, I don't know. Like, okay, so before we take intermission, do we maybe want to touch on the Lake Shawnee uh, amusement park and slaughter grounds? <laughs> amusement park and slaughtering grounds. Is it? Is it? <laughs> Do they like make the hot dogs there and then sell them right there? <laughs> Big machine out back. Yeah. You know, with the putrid lake next to it, you just got the whole thing. It's self contained. I like it. Well, uh, it's a little, little more of a mud bog now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a location in Wyoming County. Uh, we, we've been there just the one time, I think. Um, and we didn't really yeah, get... It's, like, it's in Mercer County, I think. Oh, is it Mercer? I believe so. It's in Rock, West Virginia. It's right right, right outside of Princeton, Bluefield. Princeton, yeah, Princeton. Well, there is a tiny um, amusement park. They got a Ferris wheel and a set of swings and I think a slide. Or the only three structures left. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a location... Uh, of a massacre back in 1783. Um, the Clay family was settled in the area and a, and the Clays date all the way back to the landing in Jamestown. Correct. Correct. They were some of the ancient planners and founders of America. Hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, wait, no. This article comes from... I was like, wait, 1979? That doesn't look right. That's when this article came mm-hmm. from. Um, but in the in the month of August, Mitchell Clay had harvested his crop of small grain and wanting to get the benefit of the pasture for his cattle, he asked two of his sons, Bartley and Ezekiel, 
to build a fence around the stacks of grain. While Mitchell Clay was out hunting, the two sons were building fence pens around the grain stacks. The older daughter, with some of the younger girls, was down on the riverbank putting out the family washing. While this was in progress, a marauding body of 11 Indians crept up to the edge of the field and shot young Barley Clay dead. When the girls heard the shot that killed their brother, they lit out uh, for the house for safety. Their path to the house was directly by where Barley had fallen. An Indian attempted to scalp the youth and at the same time captured the older girl, Tabitha Clay. Uh, she was trying to defend the body of her brother. In the struggle, the uh, the girl reached for the knife, which hung on the Indian's belt. Missing the knife, the Indian literally cut her to pieces before killing her. Ezekiel Clay, about 16, was captured by another Indian. About the time of the Indian attack, a man named Lincoln Blankenship, well, excuse me, Blankenship, which is a name I recognize from um, folks you've told me about. Uh, Lincoln Blankenship. Uh, but, but they were called out at the Clay cabin. When Mrs. Clay saw her daughter Tabitha in death struggle, she begged Blankenship to go and shoot the uh, savage and save, not very PC, shoot the savage and save her daughter's life. But Blankenship ran away from the scene and reported to settlers on the New River that the Clay family had been murdered by the Indians. Uh, when they got the scalps of Barley and Tabitha Clay, they left the area with Ezekiel Clay as their prisoner. Mrs. Clay took the bodies of Bartley and Tabitha to the house and laid them on the bed. She then took her small children and made her way through the woods to the home of James Bailey, six miles distance. Meanwhile, Mitchell retraced his steps homewards and discovered the scene of horror. Thinking all of his family had been killed or captured, Mitchell Clay left his cabin and headed for the settlements on the New River. A party of men under the leadership of Captain Matthew Farley went to the Clay cabin and buried the two children. Uh, Then they pursued the Indian party. They caught up with the Indians in present-day Boone County, and several of the Indians were killed. Charles Clay, brother of the two murdered Clay children, killed one of the Indians. Ezekiel Clay, the captive lad, was hurried away by the Indians who escaped the Captain Matthew Farley party and was taken to their towns in Ohio. There he was burned on the stake, the third of the Mitchell Clay's family, to mean an untimely death. Uh, this episode has significant connection to the history of Oceana and Wyoming County since Mary Clay, daughter of Mitchell and Phoebe Clay, sister of Barley, Tabitha, and Ezekiel Clay, and the wife of Captain Ralph Stewart, lived most of her life in Wyoming County and lies buried in Craney, a short distance from Oceana. Mary Clay, 11 years old at the time, was no doubt a witness to the Indian attack at Lake Shawnee. Mary Stewart's brother, Henry Clay, who lies buried at the Stewart Cemetery, uh, was a mere babe in arms when the attack occurred. And uh, Captain Ralph Stewart is, we've actually been to his gravesite before. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, was it him or Clay that was the found, excuse me, founder of uh, Pineville? Cook was the oh, first Cook. settler and Stewart was the second. And uh, Ralph Stewart married uh, the Clay girl, who was also, I mean, her grave was right there, too, up on the hill where you were at. And um, so all three of these people are are your ancestors, the Cooks, the the Stewarts, and the Clays. Nice. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Finding uh, Ralph Stewart's uh, tombstone was pretty trippy. Mm Mm-hmm. That's very cool to be uh, descended from 
some families you can keep track of like that. That's very cool. Yeah, the the Cook story is very interesting. It's a a kidnapping story. You can get into that some other time. But uh, John Cook and Ralph Stewart were both in the Revolutionary War. And uh, actually, I think Mitchell Clay was too. Wow. But um, we were, our family was in that place, in that county, which we didn't know at the time until we come down here and did some genealogy for 250 years until I left. When I left, I was the last of, of my line. You know, there's plenty of other people that are related there, but this particular line was there for 250 years until I left in the uh, 80s, 1980s. That's incredible. And uh, make fun of Adrian a little bit. Uh, Booberry, you can edit that out, right? Sure. You can, you can <laughs> we'll absolutely we'll f- make fun of this guy. It. Get some of those bleeps in here. Yeah, we got Get a duck noise. We, we, we like to censor everything with duck noises. That'll work. Um, lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. You're going to embarrass uh, this man. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to, yeah, I'm going to embarrass Booberry a little bit by saying it's Oceana. Oh, what did I say? Oceana? Yeah, everybody pronounces it like it should be. It's Oceana, but there they say it's Oceana. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm. It's almost ocean, like a nice name. Like ocean. Oceana. Oceana. <laughs> Oceana. Oceana. Yeah. Hmm. So the uh, story of Lake Shawnee continues on. Uh, in the 1920s, uh, investors appeared with rides and attractions, a circular sling, a swing, a water slide, dance hall, speakeasy. They also added a pond and a swimming, pool, a swimming hole complete with canoes. At some point, things started to go wrong. Lake Shawnee fans know the facts intimately. A little girl died on the swings and a boy drowned in the pond. All told, roughly six visitors died during the amusement park's brief history. Um, Fun. Yeah. Uh, the, the girl on the swing, the truck of all fucking things, ended up backing up and backed right into the path of the swing. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Ugh. even later, um, they had passed, I think they had passed it to uh, another investor. Gaylord White thought the Sleepy Meadows seemed ideal for future neighborhoods. But as construction crews to- tore into the grass and soil, they unearthed the bones of Native American artifacts. It turns out the amusement park sat atop an ancient burial ground. And most of the skeletons Ancient belong- burial ground. Yeah. Sorry, I had to say it. Please continue. Poltergeist. Live from your grave. Welcome to your doom. <laughs> um, it turns out the amusement park sat atop an ancient burial ground, and most of the skeletons belonged to children. Archaeologists believe that the remains had been there long before settlers moved west. Uh, was the Clay family cursed too? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, attracted ghost hunters and paranormal Experts for years, quote-unquote. It's ranked on the Travel Channel's most terrifying places in America. Uh, Most terrifying places in America. Wait, 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 who? National Geographic? Who? Travel Channel. (laughs) Travel Channel. Yeah, it's (laughs) almost as good. Just as good. Drop a Google search, because it's it's a creepy-looking location. Um, 
wouldn't mind getting out there. You have to censor Google, by the way. Censor the word Google. Oh, did I do the... I need a like a whipping sound effect. (laughs) (laughs) Google it. Yeah, there was a uh, actually a, a huge Indian fort that was there. I think there's like 300 graves or something in that area. Wow! Wow! There's a there's a big paper on it though. I think it was West Virginia University came down and did a dig. It was big. I was there at the time, so it was it was a big deal. Did they move what they found? Uh, no, I think they just covered things back up. I don't know if they actually tried to conserve anything. It's not really. It's kind of deceiving the way they say it it's like a big boomerang shape and there's there's used there's it's kind of filled in now there used to be two with a road in between it two lakes Mm -hmm. and the indian part is actually in the left side of the boomerang far off from the lakes it's a big big flat field Mm -hmm. and the fort and all the indian barrels are actually way at the other end and the end down toward where the roads meet is where the clay cabin was and where the lakes are now and everything. They actually have a clay memorial up on the hill that they think, well, it had to be there's the only hill there, but the Indians were watching them for days and they could see that there were no males or anybody there to protect a family. So there is a memorial on the hill where the Indians watched before they come down and attack the family. Terrifying times. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Captain Ralph Stewart was a Indian hunter during the times. That was what he did before the revolution. Uh, That's a hell of a hell of a profession. Right. Yeah. It's, it's rough times. Rough times. Trying to just live and get along and have enough food for the year. Yeah. I've got a. Uh, Crash course history, some of the relations between natives and English dropped in. I, I was going to pull notes, but that was going to head down another uh, rabbit hole. Um, but I do have a short clip on the um, Lake Shawnee, and it's I think it's the owners of the land talking about it. Every fall season, the owners of Lake Shawnee and Mercer County welcome people onto their land to tour what they say is a hot spot for the paranormal. We had purchased the same swing that the little girl got killed on. And that's when we started seeing the the spirits and stuff coming out from that. The land used to be home to a fun-filled carnival until the accidental deaths of two children in the 1960s. The landowners say they still see the spirits of the two children, a boy who accidentally drowned, and a young girl who was killed on the swing set after a delivery truck backed into its path. My husband seen the little girl when he was riding the tractor and uh, she was riding on the back of his tractor with him. And he was up there mowing one day, and he said that the, the feelings that he'd been getting off and on you knew, was, was stronger that day. So he looked over his shoulder, and there she was on the back of the tractor with him. Years after the carnival had closed, it was then discovered that the land's tragic past went back centuries. Native American remains were found on the property in the 1980s, which prompted a visit from experts from Marshall University. Those experts say that over 3,000 Native American remains could still be buried on the property. There were so many children's death because they had the flu or the pneumonia or something like that. So that's where they come up with the deaths. Landowners say they started letting people onto the property after years of interest from not just the community, but from across the country. 
They also say they believe if you have something special, you should share it with those around you. I, I believe in sharing. If you've got something that's uh, really nice, you know, I, I think you should share it. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's a golden rule. I was listening to her accent. <laughs> <laughs> And definitely, I was like, mm, you know, if I was listening from the outside, she sounds like she's talking about Sharon. Yeah, we all know Sharon. She lives down the street, right? <laughs> Up the holler. <laughs> Up the Sharon holler. is not By in the Sharon. Okay, take a left before you get to the creek. See, I, I'm one of those, I, if I, I just have to slip back into it. I, if I try, I just sound like a fucking asshole. <laughs> crick. You, you just got to commit crick. Crick. Don't even think. Don't even think of that. He say crick. Uh, let me see if I can do it again. And stop. Done. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. Um, I think that kind of does it for first second half of show. There. Um, it was spooky. It was. Uh, it was. It had the accents. It was rich. I think when we get back, um, we can maybe talk about a underground bunker. Um, I found a clip especially oh, yes. for Sir 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 Seat Sitter, uh, which I know he's really going to enjoy. So we'll definitely want to touch on that. Shout out to Sir 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 Sir. <laughs> um, got some uh, minor wars. We got fucking old growth forest shit. We got it all. Hot. Uh, yeah, we don't have Take any, a quick. Huh? I was going to say we don't have any voicemails so far for tonight. Uh, but no screams, no scream mails. I know, I know. Unfortunate. Well, but we did have Corcus uh, sending in a text, and you can always do that too and text that same number. Oh, Corcus. Um, she uh, recently had an amazingly tasty Irish cider. Which he had not had before, and wanted to, uh, wanted to share it with us. Mm. A great balance of tart and sweet, made with seventeen types of apples. Highly recommend it. And it's nice. uh, Magners, which I've had before, and it oh, is Magners? good. Oh yeah. Oh, Magners is a is a staple. That's a, that's that's one of the great great ciders. That if you you go to the most uh, Irish bars, I would wager you can get a Magners. Magners is fantastic. Excellent suggestion. Quirk ass has great taste as always. Uh, yeah, the good old Magners. The way that they do it in Ireland is you get a Magners on ice. I used to work in the city, and they I used to go to lunch at this Irish bar. Some real Irish motherfuckers that would go to this Irish bar, and the real Irish dudes they would get the Magners on ice. They would get a a pint glass full of the Magners, and then they get it with with ice cubes, and they drink it with that. And they'd be in there at like noon, you know, having lunch, and they'd be crushing Magners on ice. Ah, uh, so good. I love cider. Me I too. love uh, all kinds of stuff. Hashtag me too. <laughs> the old Magners. Yeah, if you can find that stuff, grab it. It's good for you. I don't have uh, any cider for intermission, so maybe. We can get some callers to call in, and that'll whet our appetites. Yeah, yeah. You can call and scream on the screen, line 612 263 sexy. 
otherwise, I hope everybody's having a great night. We're here with Spaz. Spaz is hanging out, and he's he's informing us on some. I, I I'm looking forward to this underground bunker stuff because I love I love DUMBs. I think they're the real. That's a legitimate conspiracy that you can really get behind. That the military builds a lot of stuff underground. That's not unreasonable, and it's probably true. <laughs> Odds are it's happening. So I love yeah. talking about that. Just and give, in mountains, especially. Give it a couple more decades and start waiting for the declassifications for other shit. I think in 10, 20 years, they're going to build this high-speed railroad underground, the one that they've been talking about building in my state for fucking 15 years. One of the biggest votes of my lifetime is when they voted to have this high-speed rail it was supposed to connect San Francisco to L.A. <laughs> and they haven't fucking broken one bit of dirt on it and they've already spent all 10 billion dollars uh anyway it's fun for what fucking facebook ads yeah 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 they, they donated it all to uh bill gates bill and melinda foundation for uh for uh what do they call them uh the credits the, the, the climate credits mm. <laughs> whatever they call them they get tax breaks they give their money to bill and melinda gates they get tax breaks <laughs> I don't think this is a relevant clip, but fuck it. Ooh, the underside of a boot. What a sight. Looks brand new. The treads are all fresh. Ooh. <laughs> intermission. <laughs> yeah, you want to do an intermission? Well, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, we'll do an intermission. We'll do an intermission. It's about a. This one's a, it's a, 11 minutes long. I thought it was pretty good. We got some. Uh, some decent music. Who is that coming up? Yeah. Doing uh, perfectly on an hour and a half right now. It's about nine o'clock specific. Uh, this is uh, starting this out. It's uh, Linda Draper. This song's called Shadow of a Coal Mine. <laughs> Heartbroken fool with a shotgun And 
Walking around, talking to people, seeing what's up. Great, let's get it popping. Here we go. All right, bro, what's on your mind? What's on your mind right now? You need to come better and what's on my mind? What are you sipping on? What do you got? What are you sipping on? Fucking Hennessy. What is it? Bro, take that mic out my face. You know what I'm saying? Say something, you know? <laughs> what are we recording right here? This is awkward. This is this is weird. I get it, but fucking interview. Say something, bro. Are you are you are you on the heme team? Bro, your shit is whack as fuck. Home improvement tips from Uncle Rob. Today I'm gonna show you the best way to unclog your toilet without a plunger. First, remove the tank lid, then fill the tank with gasoline, then put the lid back on, then tie a string to the handle, then run the string through a bottle of Drano, then light a road flare, go in the toilet, close the lid, then pull the string. And now you don't have a clogged toilet anymore. Did you know that it's illegal to say I want to kill the president of the United States of America? It's illegal. It's a federal offense. It's one of the only sentences that you're not allowed to say. And it was okay for me to say it right then because I was just telling you that it's illegal to say I want to kill the president of the United States of America. I'm not actually saying it. I'm just 
letting you know that it's illegal to say that. It's kind of like a public service. I'm letting you know so that you don't accidentally go out and say something like that. Um, but what's interesting is that it's, it's very illegal to say, I really, really think someone out there should kill the president of the United States of America. That's illegal, extremely illegal, very, very illegal, but not illegal to say with a mortar launcher because that's its own sentence. It's an incomplete sentence, but it may have nothing to do with the sentence before that. So that's perfectly fine, perfectly legal. I also found out that it's incredibly illegal, extremely illegal to go on television and say something like the best place to fire a mortar launcher at the White House would be from the roof of the Rockefeller Hewitt building because of minimal security and you'd have a clear line of sight to the president's bedroom. Insanely illegal ridiculously, recklessly, insanely illegal, yet even more illegal to show an illustrated diagram. Insanely illegal, ridiculously, horribly felonious, because they will come to your house in the middle of the night and they will lock you up extremely against the law. Uh, one thing that is technically legal to say is that we have a group that meets Fridays at midnight under the Brooklyn Bridge and the password is Six Emperor Tyrannus. <laughs>
Yeah, that's how right. you can hear it. It sounds real good outside. We now return to Behind the Screen. Welcome back, Behind the Schemes, second second half of show. Second half of show, second second half of show, bitch. Yeah. You know, there's we're the only show on the whole stream that has two second halves of show. This I just want to say that, for the record. Only place, one-stop shop, all. All, second half. You can skip the first half of the show with us. We'll go straight to the second half. And then we'll do it again. <laughs> for your pleasure. For your for your very great pleasure. Oh, boy. Anyway, we're back behind the schemes. You are Booberry. I am Lavish. And we're here with Spaz. And, uh, Hello. We're hanging out. And uh, that last track was actually a local West Virginia band named da- uh, Damsel. Sorry, and uh, Spaz, that was uh, that was you playing bass on that song. <laughs> Beautiful downtown Pineville in William's bedroom on a boombox. It doesn't. Sound, I think that one has a little more clarity than some of the four track stuff. Honestly, yeah, the four tracks is you had to record three. And bounce it to one. And anytime you wanted to add any more than three things, you had to go back and play the bounce track, record on the two tracks that are left, and then bounce that back to the fourth track. So you keep losing quality as it goes. Yeah, and control. And the four track, as you heard, it, it's got a lot of stuff. It's got a lot of solos, a lot of vocals, a lot of drums, a lot of... Nope, but that one's just raw right there in the bedroom. We're not not a foot away from each other. That's why it's so much feedback. Mm-hmm. How many uh, bands did you play with? And also, was there one band that was your staple band that you played with? Oh, my gosh. How many? That's a good question. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, we have to, one, two, three. We have, we have to <laughs> yeah, stop you yeah. there. And as a bassist, or as, a, <laughs> as many things, as, as set, or just one thing? Um started out as guitar. I uh, switched over to basses uh, after uh, my cousin had quit. He played bass, Randall, when it gave me the name Spaz. And um, all of us played instruments. So uh, we actually at one point had a band called Tempest, and we liked to really mess with the drunks. So we would do one set playing what we normally played. We'd come back on the next set, and our guitar player would be on drums. I'd be on a guitar. Our drummer would be on a, another guitar. It's like musical it's, chairs. It's, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Musical chairs. And then the next one we'd come up, and we'd all play another different instruments, and they were all like, uh, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> so. What, yeah. uh, what was the – there was one song that you guys um, – did this too in the middle uh radar love right golden <laughs> yeah. hearing good memory i don't think i've told you that lately maybe i have yeah the little part of radar love where it all winds down right in the middle um you know it does all the big solo and everything and then stops and then it comes back in with the drums that the little and then it starts picking up again we get to that part and we would just stop and we wait, 
and we will wait till everybody starts moving off of the floor, off of the dance floor, and then the drummer would you know wait till the last one just kind of steps foot off of the dance floor and he'd go, and everybody all just awkwardly go, oh oh, play mind games with them, draw them back in. Oh yeah, drunk West Virginia. It's not hard to play mind games. It's uh, I, I I've played in a band on and off most of my life, and I can say that there's a lot of the. It's a fascinating experience when you have people who finally get in the groove of dancing. If you're if you're playing live music and you've actually got dancers, people that are dancing to your music, it's an interesting um, chemistry that that is created. That's unusual because on one hand you have what you've rehearsed, you have what you play. But then on the other hand, you've got these dancers and you have to engage their energy. So you have to lengthen the song or you have to um, sort of like play with a, at a quicker tempo or, or, or just, you know, extend it in some weird way that you've never extended it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's what you're talking about, which is you're consciously letting these, that energy peter out. You're 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 giving them that opportunity to kind of get off the dance floor, <laughs> and then you have it in you to bring them back again, and that is a dynamic energy for a band to have for any for anyone to have given the circumstances. I don't know if if maybe these West Virginian audiences are are dancers. Is there a lot of dancers that are coming to the shows? <laughs> no, it was just uh, sort of an awkward flailing. Ah, well, that's, you know, that's dancing. <laughs> it's not about the quality, it's about the quantity. How many of them are flailing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We always had a full floor. <laughs> well, that's what matters. Uh, it was even more interesting because this was the age of uh, clubs there probably liked cocaine and Freebird and a lot of stuff like that. We were playing mm-hmm. Dokken and Judas Priest. So there's there was that little dynamic going on. It's like what what is that? What are they playing? And it's really loud, but I like it. <laughs> but but it ain't, it's not Leonard Skinner. <laughs> I got the uh, I got the list right. of bands uh, in front of me: Legend, Tempest, Minus Four, Ecstasy, and Damsel. It's um, five names, I think. Unless uh, yeah, was it? Was it well, that's yeah. that's just the West Virginia side. Yeah. Nice. And I guess out of all that, Tempest was probably the biggest with the the record and everything, and the concert in the Huntington Civic Center. Same place Bon Jovi played. Yeah. So you Lots played at this big major venue, and and you got a, a record deal. It was not a record deal. It was um, they were having a, a the local rock station was having a record contest, and they wanted to do a thing for the homeless, and uh, they called it the the First Step Project. And the first step was to raise money for all the homeless and everything. So they had all these bands sent in submissions, and uh, some somehow they were connected with Epic. So somebody at a Epic Labels hmm. went through all these songs and picked uh, 10 or 12, I forget how many is on the record. And uh, out of those people that were selected, they got their songs got put on this compilation album. And hmm. then we got to do a concert connected to that so it's a very electric eclectic odd sort of album because there's everything on it 
And uh, the song we thought was our best song was not even the song that they picked. They picked the slow song. Uh, that's a bitch. It's a bitch and a half. Yeah. And we had to edit it to fit it within the three minutes, so it's it's actually got a short solo in it. Oh, damn! But uh, it's it, it still it still got on there, and it was it was really cool. To, you know, uh, we were first driving to, up to do the concert and uh, hear your song call on the radio. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah FM one hundred and five. So it broadcast over the whole. Uh, well, you can get it from Huntington all the way down to Wyoming County. So it, it was a powerful station. Yep. Lots of fun. Great. You got you, so you got a song on the radio. You got huge exposure. I mean, that's that's one of the things you you want as a musician. You want to have that that uh, accolade. I mean, it's a big yeah, deal. We were a, we were a big deal in our our little mines and our little towns and a few counties around us. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fun yeah. though. I mean, you know. Had a tour bus too. <laughs> yeah, had a tour bus. People yelling at you, "Hey, Spaz!" And I have no clue where they are. They know who you are, but I don't know there. You just go, "Hey, how you doing?" See, that's that's just a good time. Uh, I mean, yeah, we'll have to do an episode on all the little shenanigans we got into. Lots of trouble. It was fun. <laughs> we should we should have a a band uh, a band story episode for sure. I, I would, yeah. if you if you'd allow me, I, I'd love to chip in a few of my own too. It's so much fun. Yeah, huh. I I'm used to playing out in the in the boonies of the Delta, uh, some some deep Delta bars, dives, and uh, I've never had anything on the radio, but I've had I've played a lot of gigs, and uh, we have a really good time, and we're we're well known in a very 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 small pocket of some deep river community somewhere, and that's it. But man, it's, uh, well, it's so much fun. We, yeah, we got to do the uh, little town called Bramwell, which is a cold town. We got to do the proverbial play behind the chicken wire. <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> oh yeah! yeah. And both kinds of music. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure Booberry's got a lot of road stories. We could just call it the road story episode and talk about oh, things yeah. that happened. He's got stories too. Well, we've also got the theater stories as well, and I think all three of us have theater stories because. It's, there's a lot of stuff that happens in that route, in that uh, circle as well. Yeah. yeah my, Those people uh, know yeah, to party. Cool. My band stories are only the homeschool bands and jazz bands. Not, not as <laughs> this exciting. One time, yeah, this one time at band camp. Yeah. This one time at band camp, a, a, a parent got really upset that the word pussy showed up in the song Grease Lightning, which was our... <laughs> summer marching band show was uh, all Grease songs and she meant to email just the band director but then CC'd everybody on the list and then they scrapped our whole marching band show that summer. It's a true story. That's a true story. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to end it with, so we all found her in the parking lot and beat the shit out of her. And no, was it was it was more we all met in the fucking field and played Frosty the Snowman because that was the only other fucking <laughs> shit that we had. <laughs> you know, some people just don't want anyone to have any fun. <laughs> the uh, the the picture I I feel like I had just seen the pictures of the tour bus. That's the one thing I'm really hung up on, like. 
I just I love the concept of it. They gutted it. They or stripped all the seats out. They welded in bed frames and had a whole stage that was built to fit in the back of the of the bus and they built compartments in. Um but on the back they I, I forget the name of the little dude, but the the green smiling guy from the cover of the Hitchhiker's Guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they had a name or not. The uh, it was that was painted on there with the back uh, with the phrase "So long and thanks for all the fish," um, which <laughs> I just love. West Virginia was what the hell's wrong with those boys? <laughs> <laughs> What's on the back of that bus? What's that mean? <laughs> that reminds me of King of the Hill. That boy ain't right. That boy, that boy ain't right. That boy ain't right. Bless his, bless his heart. <laughs> there was something. I wish I could remember. Hear a dumb shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was a, a situation not too long ago. I wish I could remember the context, but I <laughs> quite frankly said, "Bless your heart." <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Them's fighting words, dog. You don't want to sling those words around like that, you know what I mean? You get in trouble. <laughs> Fucking two fists up right there. Bless I, uh, my what? Bless my what? What the fuck did you just say to me? You and then it just escalates. <laughs> well, I do have uh this one clip for Sir Sir Seat Sitter that I'd like to just throw out here because I found it damn near an hour and a half before we started tonight. But when you hear something like this, you can't just let it up. Nine now, we have the Snarly Yow. Some call this the Banishing Dog, the Black Dog, or even the Dog Fiend. Whatever people in West Virginia call it, though, this phantom dog has been seen by a lot of people. It's described as large, black, and teeth-bearing, appearing in front of people's cars on the dark mountain roads. But when they hit it and get out to check, the dog has disappeared into thin air. It was first sighted in the early 1800s, where it would chase people on horseback, in carriages, or donkey carts. It has continued this habit into modern times, only now it can be seen keeping pace with cars going at 55 miles per hour. If be told, locals don't really know how fast this thing can actually go. Although many people have reported seeing the creature, it has never actually harmed anyone as of yet. This kind of unnerves some people, though, who worry, what does it really want from the people it terrorizes? There's some other shows that have been well on the lead for this specific story, like uh, Abs in a Six-Pack, Up is Down with Dean Reiner, OBDM, uh, but this just reeks of dog man through and through. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Another cryptid humanoid demon type creature. Uh, turn- like how he's talking in, in there somewhere on. He's talking about canal when he calls it Canawal. <laughs> oh, okay. That's what the email was about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Kanawa. He says Canawal. Oh, you're British, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I just you know, wanted in a while. just wanted to throw it out there. Um Yeah. Dogman I mean, shows up in West Virginia. We're a cryptid watch here. I mean that's that's a service we should that you provide that's that thank you, sir. We gotta keep an eye on these things, man. Um I'm gonna know, man. One of these days it's gonna be real, you know. One of these days they're gonna find something and it'll be like 
Oh, uh, previously thought ex- uh, extinct species has been refound. Yep, worked for the seal camp. What'd you call me? <laughs> you heard me. Bless your heart. <laughs> you might be almost thirty, but I can still kick your butt. <laughs> yes, the uh, the next time uh, the next time the listeners hear my voice, I'll be dirty thirty. Coming up here in a couple of days. Oh my God, Kev! It's gonna be a new dawn, a new day for Mister Booberry. Yeah, sir, sir. Seat sitter asked if I wanted to do a fill in for Larry just in case uh, something fell through, and I was like, "Well, fuck! I would do a show with you and Larry if I could." <laughs> yeah, can you go on with him and Larry? Would that be okay? Yeah, I would support that. I would listen to the hell out of that show. I gotta. God, I love Larry. Larry's great. Smooth up to Sir Seatzer tomorrow. Get get him on this show. We gotta get Larry on this show. I oh. mean, Larry and Mo, those should be like the top priorities. We gotta get him on this motherfucker. Grill those sons of bitches. <laughs> Spaz, are you aware of who we're talking about? These guys, Larry and Mo. I am not. Ah, uh, they're just a couple. Of, they got other shows on this thing. I haven't uh, I haven't sent over that Larry show. It's a like a half hour single person, uh, definitely not stream of conscious. What's the word I'm looking for? Like um, uh, it's you know one of them's a half hour kind of monologue. That's Larry show, and then the other one is uh, Mo and Adam. Uh, just it's it's like it talks about race relations and stuff like that. And oh, either uh, way. It's not important. You remember that uh, Mark My Words vaccine episode that I'd sent you? Yes. That's mm-hmm. MoFax. Okay. Oh, MoFax. Okay, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, some of those. Kind of warming up to getting him to come on to the show. I think that'd be... I, he's one of my top favorite shows, hands down, so... Yeah, they're, they're, they're great guys to have on. They'd be great guys to have on. There's a lot of good shows to have uh, that are going on around here. So, and I'm telling you, man, boobs, you listen to you listen to so many of them. You listen to more than me. You're like, uh, you, you listen to like all the God. What is it? The old dumb, dirty bastards and the the and the and the, the big dumb mouths and the all those ones, man. Big story. <laughs> big stories, man. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 sum bigs agendas, down, bigs in the six pack, <laughs> bigs in the nabs, and you know the pork story and all those those shows. They're all ah, it's a lot. Of ah. I do listen to a lot of shows. I'm like the Rain Man of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, I, mean, I don't know. We'll see. Well, we've gotten off just uh, gotten off track just enough that I almost started looking up the uh, going off the rails jingle from uh, Fletcher of Hog Story. But instead, I, know. I took us off the rails. I'm sorry about that. I got excited. Uh, do we want to maybe touch on the cathedral real quick before we end on the uh, base under the Greenbrier Resort, or do we just want to go straight to the base? Mm. I don't know. I mean, the the hemlocks are pretty cool. It's not a 
Yeah, go ahead and hit it. It's not very long. All right. This is a this is a short, brief clip talking about uh, the virgin forest of West Virginia. West Virginia at one fifty. Nineteen twenty, the end of West Virginia's ancient forests. Large scale lumbering didn't begin here until the end of the nineteenth century, but soon West Virginia was being lumbered on a massive scale. The timber cut in the peak years, nineteen o seven and nineteen o nine totaled almost 3 billion board feet. Enormous once-in-a-lifetime trees were routinely cut. In West Virginia were 1,500 working sawmills. What wasn't cut was destroyed by a series of forest fires in places burning up the earth itself down to the bedrock. By 1920, almost all of the virgin forest had been cut or burnt. It all happened in 40 years. So this is the Cathedral State Park. Uh, It's 133 acres, and it's home to hemlock groves, uh, also referred to as the Redwoods of the East. Um, And this is definitely something I remember you showing me pictures of. Is uh, 133 acres? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's small. Hmm. Also 33, but yeah, 133 acres is very small. Um, but these trees can reach up to 90 feet, and they have circumferences of 16 feet or more. And um, I mean, there's some photos where I remember you showing me, it's like you could fit a sizable group of people on the trunk of the tree. It was so large. Yeah, usually you see, uh, when you see these trees, you don't get to see what they actually look like. You see like... Uh, 10 people sitting on a stump that they just cut down. You'll see those old black and white photos. Wow. I mean, these things were huge, and it's amazing this ancient forest was saved. And to think that, you know, everything was like this at one time. And now, you know, there's barely a tree you can get your arm around anywhere. I mean, even hiking the most remote mountain in West Virginia, there's no big tree. Man has been absolutely everywhere. And cut everything down. It's uh, it's surreal to think about what it must have been like for those who, who crossed over and came to this land first, and uh, and seeing just the the overgrowth, just that incredible the, the trees and everything like that. It must have just been mythical to them. That's sad. I'd like to go. I haven't uh, I haven't been to this area before. Yeah, we definitely need to make a road trip. There's lots of things we can go up there and see pretty easily. A lot of well, don't let me know. I'll show up. Sorry, continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that, that'll be our travel blog web series Patreon exclusive, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you're invited, but your friends can't come. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he tells two friends who tells nobody. You understand? <laughs> I got a little Behind thing the trees. Golden Horseshoe. I was a smart guy on history. I could take you and show you some stuff up there. Oh, the Golden... Okay, so you had sent me pictures of the Golden Horseshoe, and I it had slipped my mind what it was, but that was the West Virginia History um, League or award, right? Yeah. I guess that's still on. I don't know. I guess they still do it. It's been around for a very long time. 
know, you take this great big test and and you know it or you don't, pretty much. <laughs> and they send you to the Capitol and the Secretary of State knights you a knight of the Golden Horseshoe. Wow. wow. Sir Spaz. Pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the um, the last thing that we have on the docket for tonight is uh, the secret underground base that the military had built underneath of the Greenbrier Resort, uh, which the Greenbrier was built right around the same time as the Civil War. And the part that really kind of baffles me a little bit is how much money used to be in West Virginia. Like, um, I had just read that uh, the highest per capita uh, population of billionaires was actually in Wheeling, West Virginia, up until the late 1800s and everyone got out of Dodge. And I've been to Wheeling, Wheeling, West Virginia on a tour. And it's just, it's, it's hard to imagine that there was so much, um, just money there. I've seen how much money they made off of coal and oil and timber. Right. And then the way they treated the people, seeing how poor they were. It's amazing. Is, is that the town that's got uh, Millionaire Row? I believe so. Is that Willing? Yeah. All the big houses. Greenbrier. What is this town called? I'm looking at it right now in the in the Book of Knowledge. It says the last president to stay there was uh, Ike Eisenhower. Oh, so, like Greenbrier? I think, uh, these are two different locations. I, are I, they? I got uh, a little sidetracked. Yeah, yeah. Gosh. You get the wrong green bird in. This castle-sized, colonial, Greek-Roman-looking building in this part of West Virginia, you're like, what is this doing here? Oh, that's it, right? In in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia? And I think, if I remember right, uh, the Emperor of Japan and all these really important people have visited there. Mm Mm-hmm. And like you said, the industrialists getting rich there and highlighting what, what happens when you have a, a, a resource-heavy economy. You get a few people who get a ton of money, and most people get nothing. That's how it is with oil. That's how it is with coal. That's how it is with any raw resource you draw from the ground. It's just kind of the way it it, it unfolds. Uh, yeah. Lots of lots of deaths with especially the coal mines. I don't know about the timber industry, but lots of cave-ins and gas and explosion and just all kinds of horrible ways to die in the dark. And children right. too. I mean, there there were preteens that worked in the mines. Everybody mm-hmm. worked back then. My mom made it to I think sixth grade, and then she was working. She had to come home work a farm and stuff. Different different times. Sure, sure. It's stories like that that make me glad that I was, uh, or still am, technically a part of a union. I, I just wish <laughs> that that the uh, you know, the, whole, the whole political angle wasn't associated with it. That's the unions mm-hmm. definitely bring bad things with them. Yeah, the unions really helped a lot, and then they didn't. And now they they just pushed them out. Now a lot of Chinese and Russia firms own all the mines up there, and there's no unions to protect. It's kind of it's kind of made a circle. 
right back to square one. <laughs> really well, because all the Chinese and all these things need all this bituminous coal. The, the, the really good stuff, the smelt iron with, is in the Pocahontas vein. So Chinese come over here and buy up the mines so they can take all the coal back to China. Mm. Buy up anything they can, real estate, businesses, anything. It's kind of the name of the game. It makes mm-hmm. sense that it should be. Anybody would would do that, you know. The the green bar that you know, that there's something like that for that much money that presidents and everything come to it. It always kind of perked people's interest and everything that the, we actually people that lived around there knew. You know, oh, there's a bunker under there. And you're like you're just a dumb wizard. You know what you're talking about. No, there's a bunker under there. We actually had a, when I was in college, we had a show that we went and did there for some rich people the college took in. And um, it's a beautiful place. Pool, indoor pools and all this stuff. It's just, just a, a beautiful site. And they were like, oh, yeah, there's there's a bunker under here. Yeah, and they were open about it. Was this people that worked there? Um, the people that worked there were, uh, there were only like one or two people that actually controlled the access, so everybody else worked on the rumor. It was rumored to them also. Sure. So it was actually, uh, yeah. Even the guy that controlled the keys didn't know anything. So you know, the site itself has been, uh, yeah, oh, sure. I mean, for something as intense as that, if it, if it were the magnitude you're talking about, then it would be like only one or two people that would have real true access to anything meaningful. But with that, you said the site was as old as the Civil War or as the Revolutionary War. I think, boobs, you said that. Uh, I th- uh, thought it was uh, Civil War. I know that there was um, hot springs at that location originally. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of springs in that area. It wasn't revolutionary. Yeah, yeah so 1913. Okay, so they came in there around Civil War. They set up a military installation, and then from there it evolved into a wealthy small community of, of well, uh, it was industrialists. So when it was, um, they you know built the resort, and then it was the well-to-do hoity-toity sort of elbow rubbing shit that you'd expect from this sort of money. But it mm-hmm. wasn't until after the Cold War that they, so uh, it was, they had to figure out. Um, it was like, later they built the bunker. Correct. I mean, obviously the bunker, the bunker comes later, but the the original military installation, there must have been like a camp or a fort or something. Or, uh, or as, far something. As, as far as I'm aware, they, it was all added after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was like uh, renovations going on, and they were adding an additional wing to the building. Cool. And they were looking for somewhere remote because um, they had the like, in case of emergency, oh shit, the we're getting nuked, and we got to figure out what well, to do with the president and get him out. And it was the money that brought it there. It was the it was the money that was like, we'll build the president. A state-of-the-art Cold and, War underground bunker. The money and the remoteness of it, too, because of course. they wouldn't suspect uh, Russia or whoever to, or Cuba at the time, to attack some, you know, kind Somewhere of bumfuck area, area in West Virginia. In, in West Virginia yeah. yeah, That makes sense. And of course, they'd always deny it, just like uh, 
Area 51 and all that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't it's just like, uh, you know, you have all these dignitaries and presidents that keep going there and a, and a huge airfields there and, and it's nowhere. Greenbrier is nowhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. It wasn't even until 2010, the WAPO Washington post uh, revealed, wait for it, that 33 building complexes for top secret intelligent work are under construction or have been built in Washington, D.C. and the surrounding area since 2000, uh, September 2001. So It's a magic number. Hmm. Repeat that one more time. What is it? The 33 intelligent, what? Buildings? What? Uh, 33 building complexes for top secret intelligence work are under construction or have been built in, 2000, uh, been built in Washington, D.C. and the surrounding area since 2001. Uh, before that building boom, however, another secret bunker lay in wait for the apocalypse behind a giant reinforced steel door. For 30 years, it was kept secret. Hidden in West Virginia's Greenbrier Resort was a massive bomb shelter stocked with supplies for members of Congress in case of emergency. Oh, I guess mm. it was in 2010. So, when was the disclosure? It's in here somewhere. Uh, but I do have a couple of uh, short clips about it. Um and they're actually walking around the facility, which I thought was pretty fascinating. We're just walking around like they own the fucking place. Well, who do you think you are? Congress? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Billionaire industrialist? Congressman? No. Wrong. 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 Hidden in plain sight. That was the Cold War mantra for a handful of people who built and maintained for years a secret nuclear bunker nestled deep inside a mountain at the Greenbrier Resort in southern West Virginia. A 25-ton steel door swings shut. In the event of a nuclear attack on Washington, D.C., some 400 kilometers away, members of Congress would be locked safely inside with enough generator power, food, water, and beds to last weeks. It's a story Greenbrier historian Bob Conti has been telling a long time. This really captures a moment in time, a moment uh, that was filled with a lot of fear. It really goes back to the mid-50s, when, you know, at the flip of a coin, it seemed like the Soviet Union and the United States would be, would be sending bombers at each other. While schoolchildren practiced duck and cover, then-President Dwight Eisenhower cut a deal to build the bunker nicknamed Project Greek Island beneath one of the most plush resorts in the nation. Congressional members and limited staff would find themselves racing down this hall in the event of a nuclear assault. You have a sense that we're in a big concrete uh, uh, box here and um, we're not getting out. I mean, I, I think that, that tunnel, more than anything else, gives that sort of kind of creepy feeling, you know? I just wonder if it's still on the table to take all of Congress and lock him in the bunker. Oh, could we please? That would be cool. <laughs> that would be the ideal situation. Is it legal to say that I want to lock the president in that bunker? You uh, know, we did, learn, we did learn during the intermission break that there's certain things that you can't say and that wasn't included on the list. I don't think so. So. It's fair game. And as long as you Me don't too. keep it stocked full of baby blood for them to drink, because they definitely don't drink baby blood, then it shouldn't be a problem. 
Yeah, and they definitely don't do weird shit behind closed doors in fraternal organizations in order to initiate them to secret societies that are elitist. Wait, don't do that. Wait, you want me to do what in the coffin? They did what? With the pig? I've got the pig carcass? What? <laughs> huh? Look, don't don't worry about it, boobs. Just just do the thing. Just just, just just here, drink this. Yeah. One day you're fucking a pig head at college, and the next you're the prime minister of England. Just like that. Yeah, that's a true story. It's an absolutely true story. <laughs> that is, you can look that up on uh, on the internet. <clears throat> that is true. True story. So uh, it was 1992 that it was disclosed. The Washington Post again. Um, was the one to report it. And after the story came out, they ended up decommissioning it because what good is a secret bunker if it's no longer a secret? No, I'm saying? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's pretty good real estate, but yeah, I know what you mean. The, uh, oh, here we go, the Greenbrier history. Have you, are you guys familiar at all with uh, Phil Schneider? The name sounds familiar, but I'm I'm lacking the context. Phil Schneider was a guy who was an expert and a and a professional like underground digger, and he he could handle you know massive machinery that was used on a massive commercial scale, industrial scale for the government, and he dug underground bunkers for these guys all the time and did it through the the 80s and 90s. And a lot of the stuff that he talks about is in the middle of nowhere, obviously, but in New Mexico. It's in them just just tunneling out huge chunks of land for these bunkers out in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. And his whole thing is he, he accidentally dug into... What was essentially full of, of gray aliens. He dug in, into this sort of like filthy, disgusting alien pit. And they shot him and he shot them. He had a pistol because he was working for the military. He shot one or two of them dead. And they shot him with a beam of, of energy. And it kind of like, it. I mean, it injured him severely. And he, and he shows it when he lifts up his shirt at his lectures how like they melted his body <laughs> with this beam shot. And, um, and he went on to talk about it for years and he did these lectures and, and he just talked about his experiences digging these massive underground military bunkers and his experience with, with aliens. And, uh, he, he's, he's one of the more fascinating characters I find when it comes to this sort of thing, because when you look at his lectures and when you see it, I mean, he really is injured and he talks about exactly how it hit him, exactly what it injured. It took out his hand. It took out a part of his torso and a part of his stomach. And, I mean, it really messed him up. And uh, and he had the credentials and he had all the stuff that he's talking about. Um, just It's just, it's, <laughs> he's an interesting guy. And uh, the underground bunker stuff, whenever you can find somebody who's who's talking about it, who actually worked in the field, that's always a great resource to tap into. And obviously when you talk about aliens and stuff, a lot of people will tap out. But with him, 
the evidence is more than just, you know, I saw something or I woke Anecdotal. up or whatever. Yeah. I mean, this guy is really injured <laughs> and he shows it all the time. So it, it, it's an interesting thing. If you haven't heard this guy, look him up. We got him posted in the chat here. The uh, I'm totally of the mindset that there is another America that's hidden underneath of our feet. Totally. Totally. Maybe not underground cities, but I'm sure there's facilities large enough that... Uh, Absolutely. Massive facilities. What's the one thing you can't make more of? Land. Yep. Except when you dig underground. And this was built... Uh, so they began working on it in 1958. It was built 720 feet into the hillside underneath the resort. Um, completed in 61. <laughs> it was constantly maintained by a small group of government employees working undercover as audio and video technicians. <laughs> yeah, huh? Sneakiest of all. Bunch of stagehands. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> AV guys. Spooky. Uh, let's see. There's four entrances, one, uh, three to the Greenbrier's grounds, and one to the main building, 25-ton blast doors, decontamination chambers, 18 dormitories uh, that could accommodate 1,100 people, power plant with purification equipment, equip, equipment, equipment and three 2,500-gallon <laughs> water tanks, uh, three 1,400-gallon diesel fuel tanks, communication area, including TV production area and audio recording booths. Mm-hmm. All sorts of shit. Laboratory, pharmacy, intensive care unit. Full fort. Full fortress underground. Yeah, I think they had enough food to last them about six months. Because um, the whole idea wow. is like, it's continuation of government. Because when, go- <laughs> when shit really hits the fan, you know who we need? We need Hello C and Nancy Pelosi and her fucking freezer oh, full of clones and 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 ice cream. Bitch I'm so McConnell. glad that my spot in the underground bunker is taken by Nancy Pelosi's fucking ice cream fridge. I know, man. It's a travesty. I'm tired of these fucks wasting taxpayer money like this. Yeah. Stop getting your fancy fucking coated wire metal hangers. Just get the cheap ass plastic ones like the rest of us use. Your clones only weigh like 70 pounds soaking wet. So I don't know why you need these. I I don't know. I'm frustrated by the whole thing. Huh? You know what? I know 70 pounds soaking wet is is true. And I also think that it's irritating because they already have their own bunkers because they're all rich. They don't need state-funded bunkers. They're going to get them anyway. They're going to have both. They're going to have their main bunker and and their weekend bunker. It's it's disgusting. And all the money they spent to build this thing and maintain and never use it. Thirty years. They never use it. It's it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money to them. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, professional term would be chump change. Mm. Uh, well, let's uh, let's get back into taking a little tour around these areas, and you know, there was something that I just I kind of had this weird sort of existential, cynical uh, uh, joy, I guess that that just imagines the likes of 
Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's freezer, Hello C, mm. Bitch McConnell, all kind of going through this. Uh, Goat Hill Pizza. <laughs> Wait, what? Goat Hill Pizza. Nancy Pelosi's pizza joint in San Francisco. Oh, that's not creepy. I used to eat there all the time. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of iron in that pizza sauce. Definitely, definitely no kid's blood in this pizza. There's There's no kid's blood in the pizza or the sausage or the pepperoni or any of any of that. Or the soup. Uh, yeah. Go, uh, go to Hill Pizza in West Portal, San Francisco. You take the M line. Take it straight there. There'll be a couple bums out front peeing on it. <laughs> this is where the decontamination process would begin. Lawmakers would be ushered in. They'd have to remove all their clothes and put them in this chute. From here, lawmakers are then ushered down a very narrow hallway. They're stripped naked, and now jets of water are blasting them as the decontamination process continues. Think about it, what the lawmakers are being asked to endure. They're oh, I'm thinking about it. They're probably disoriented. They've been rushed here from Washington, D.C. because the worst of the worst, a nuclear attack has happened. The next step is out this door. Lawmakers are brought into this small room. They are given fatigues. Some ivory soap, vitalis for their hair, and some other toiletry items, and then they are prepared to stay in this bunker for who knows how long. The cots, yeah, huh? the mattresses, the hospital, the intensive care unit remain just the same as they did in the early 1960s. God, the Greenbrier kept prying eyes away by placing high voltage signs on massive doors that served as the entrance to the bunker. I can remember stumbling upon this once back in the the secret days. Former President Eisenhower's goal was to keep the legislative branch of the U.S. democracy up and running. I think it's pretty clear that the the Capitol building probably wouldn't be there anymore. Uh, But the point was, we as an institution are here. And I think the goal is to prevent anarchy from breaking out across the country. It remained a closely guarded secret. Only the Speaker of the House of Representatives and the Senate Majority Leader knew about Project Greek Island. That is, until the end of the Cold War. In 1992, the Washington Post revealed the existence of the site. Once the cover was blown, the government decommissioned the bunker. And today, tourists pay to visit. Every nook and cranny in this bunker is filled with history. But I think I'm most impressed with just the story, the fact that This bunker was maintained in a state of readiness for over 30 years. It's burned up. (laughs) I think we should just go put them all in there and see how well it works. It's just a test run. Yeah, yeah. Just just a quick check on you in six months. (laughs) With your bar of soap. All I can think of is like Fallout with the vaults, but it's the ones with all the cannibals inside. Mm -hmm. It's some social experiment, you know? It's not just a straight vault. They're just like, oh, we also put in crazy gas. That's that's where they're uh, storing all the alien stuff and all the DNA they took from you when they gave you the polio shots, too. Remember X-Files? Mm-hmm. I always figured they were keeping it in that place in Norway that they always talk about, that seed seed oh, bunker. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, apparently this is being leased out by a um, who was it? it was a data company CSP IP or CSX IP. So they're going to build a bunch of servers in there. Yeah, let me. Um, I lost it. I'll have to come back around to it. I was looking up the company, mm. but I couldn't. Um, wasn't having much luck. Oh, here it is. Uh, it's used as a data storage facility for the private sector. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so they get they get demilitarized and they get sold off to the private sector. Which is if, then probably working under contract <laughs> for the military. Probably. <laughs> probably being funded by it in some some indirect way. Yeah, you're totally right. I'd love to see. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to tech, tech is in the fucking pocket of the military so hard. There's an end. You know, I got to... The, the real telltale sign that this thing was, wasn't, you know, it was Cold War. It was the fact that it doesn't have a ton of pollution. I got a bunker up behind my property that stretches for, I mean, probably at least 50, 60 acres. And they have uh, a bunch of old underground bunkers that used to be associated with the the naval shipyard. Uh, the or, I'm sorry, the... Um, yeah, yeah, the naval shipyard. There used to be a shipyard here in World War II. It was a munitions shipyard. And uh, they would also build Liberty ships and, and do all kinds of quick repairs and stuff. And the rail line ran here. The The Zephyr line actually runs right through it. it mm. It's what ultimately became the Zephyr line was the old rail lines that they used to have here that would come in up from Emeryville and Oakland through the East Bay on their way to Chicago where they would get the bulk of their materials. And uh, the the bunkers that are behind my property are so fucking polluted that they don't know what to do with them. They keep trying to sell them, turn them into a park, turn them into, you know, parse them out and, and make houses or real estate or whatever. And they can never successfully do it. And I think the reason is because there's just so much crap in that soil and the and the and underground in there, there's just so much oil and grease and bullshit that they'll never be able to reappropriate that that territory. Either that, or they or they're storing nukes there. It can only be one or two of those things, or something in that line, you know. So when you can sell a bunker to the private sector, then it must be pretty new. <laughs> I think is the moral of my story. I wouldn't mind a bunker. <laughs> yeah, I know, right. Be cool to have. Well, if anything, I think this story uh, sort of cements for me that West Virginia might be some good bug out territory. <laughs> might uh, might need it. Might need it. Might not. It might not, but it might. In Lagrange, old bug out. Every every place needs that. bug out. Yeah, that dude that uh, wasn't the Unabomber. What was he? Did he bomb the Olympics in Atlanta? Can't remember his name, but he hid out in the hills here in North Carolina for years. If he'd been smart, he'd went to West Virginia and never been found. Right. Hmm. You think? You think he, you really he truly did never? He, he could really do it up there. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, there's there's some relatively remote areas. Nice. That'd be, be incredible to do that. And I don't think you need to necessarily 
cross through too much of like I, I can't how do I phrase this? Is West Virginia like on the main path traveling up and down the um east coast? Like if you had to get from Virginia to New York, right? I'd say most often than not, you'd say toward, closer to the east side, like you're going up through D.C., right? Yeah, 77 is the only main way to go up through the state, really. Yeah, so I just I don't I don't really see there being a ton of traffic going through there. Um, no one, I don't know how to phrase it. I just I don't think anybody really gives a shit about the state. Mm, they don't. No. They're building this huge thing called the Coal, Coal Fields Expressway right now. That would that cuts the part they've done right now cuts our time going into the to the old home. Yeah, uh, I don't know, half an hour maybe. I mean, they're they're decimating whole complete mountains. I mean, they're tearing out complete mountains to put this little four lane road in for nothing for nobody. <laughs> for nobody, it's so weird. Yeah, and it's huge. I mean, it's just the scar. It's just as ugly as could be. Next time you come in, we go up there. We'll we'll go that way, and you you would just not believe it. That's awful. They must be anticipating some sort of like a massive migration there. Is that is that? There's yeah. There's something else going on. Would you, with all the stuff that's going on with people moving around out of um, a lot of coastal cities, would you be afraid that West Virginia would be? at risk in the same way that, like, say, a place like Austin, Texas is of getting just bombarded by a bunch of uh, people moving in? I don't think so. I don't think the infrastructure is there. That that main road is there, but everything else is really old and falling apart. I mean, there's uh, businesses and things just leaving by the droves. There's now something, um, was it Charleston? I'm trying to think of what it was. A big pharmaceutical company just just left, and it put like thousands of people out of work. Mm. And they actually have started a program to, I think it's ten thousand dollars bonus to move to the area to do telecommuting, and they give you so much um, outdoor credits or equipment or money to do rafting or whatever else too. But they're using all this money and everything to lure these uh, tech people into the area instead yeah. of doing anything to save the jobs of the thousands of people that actually hmm. live there now. Sounds like they're trying to plant liberal seeds or something. Yeah, yeah offer an incentive to something that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And there, there's some rough parts. I just, I, I can't never, like, just thinking about some of the people that, I know that come from super liberal areas like uh, New York and seeing their reactions when we hit places like Wheeling and, and Morgantown, like not to rag on them. Those are, those are big cities. Yeah. Well, West Virginia terms. <laughs> I suppose mm. that's true. But like, I mean, not to be a dick, but they're kind of disgusted. Like they're all freaked out. Um, they can't find anything that they want there. Any sort of quote-unquote modern comforts. I mean, I don't know what you remember, and, and we still see it now going up there, but you could drive down one of our roads through one of our hollers, and, oh, and you'd be like, oh, look, there's an abandoned house, and then somebody walks out of it. 
Mm-hmm. That there's somebody mm-hmm. living in that that structure and it's ready to fall down now. That's all they got. They can't do anything else. They have no way, no money, no place to do or fix. I mean, they're just trapped. There's a there's a movie, and I didn't pull any clips. Um, it's worth a watch. I'm not going to sell it to you the way that it was sold to me. And this movie is the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia. I haven't um, watched that yet. I want to. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my buddy was like, Oh, you have to see this. You're from West Virginia. Oh, you're going to think it's hilarious. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, made it like it was this big laugh riot comedy draw. And, uh, it's not, it's not funny. Um, there's definitely humorous things, but when, you just you see the lengths that these, and it's not just like these people. It's generations after generations, like the to the just to see the brinks of where they've been pushed to. It's it's really kind of heartbreaking at times. Uh, it was a hard it was a hard watch for me at least. I uh, actually gotten quite visibly upset <laughs> one part, and everybody else is just laughing. I was like, "There's nothing funny about this," you know. I I know people I know people right now that without watching this show I kind of know what all is in it and I know people like that right now that live there. Yeah. So, I mean yeah. I mean it's the you know the the family that this movie is based off of the white family they're they're complete you know complete debaucherous um hedonistic lifestyles and mm. but when you look at like just the sense of you're never escaping the minds like that it, it, it instills this um you know the the it it removes the fear of death essentially i don't know yeah. how else to describe it yeah totally same same producers that did jackass it's a good movie it's well produced uh it's just don't be fooled by the trailer it's not just a bunch of ignorant uh Rednecks. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the uh, documentary? I'll use that with their quotes called Oxiana. Oh my God. No, but I can imagine. Yeah. It's the, it's the Oxycontin uh, epidemic. That's in Oceana. Yeah. And we covered a story not too long ago about some fucking pharma fuck. Sitting around an email. Pharma fuck. <laughs> Sending around an email with the lyrics to Pillbillies. Uh, you reworked the Beverly Hillbillies song to be about a bunch of pill popping hill folk. It's disgusting. It is disgusting. People get paid to. Uh, people, people get fucking bankrolled to do this shit. These, these old sitcoms and shit. Sorry, to, I don't want to get too far off site, but did you hear that they're going to make a drag Brady Bunch show? Oh, what? A a drag Brady Bunch show, television show. They're Special. going to make one? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're going to do a drag version of Brady Bunch. Um, um, You know, I do enjoy drag shows a lot, but... I don't know if I would enjoy drag shows as a remake of a sitcom from the sixties or seventies. I, I mean, I think the point is, is that they just, that's, that's the best thing they could come up with. 
Is there, they're just now reaching into old class. I mean, just wait. There's, pretty soon there's going to be like an Archie Bunker drag show because the, that's the material that they're pulling from, this era of of television. It's it's fascinating. It's fascinating to witness. As you know, these things, you know, stuff repeats, fashions repeat, styles repeat. I think that everybody's trying to go to some weird... This is, this is like a 60s thing. We're all in the 60s again. There's a weird political correctness, and there's like a counterculture that's really fun, but but it's really rejected because the the main culture is like so politically correct about all their shit. And if you do tap into that, if you decide to be politically correct, if you decide to be a company man, then you can make a lot of money and you can make a good living for yourself. And you could partake in the social experiment of just being able to shit on people for not for not being part of the narrative. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? That's all they got. It worked the first time. They can only assume that it'll work the second time, I suppose. Eh, things repeat. Just everything's a cycle. It's fun. We'll see we'll see how we look back on this time. It'll be fun. Wow. It's lazy. Come up with your own thing, people. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. Well, I got uh, this is my last uh, Greenbrier clip. We'll kind of bring it back around and wrap up for tonight. Um, I don't remember what they say, but it's short. This remained a secret for more than 30 years, and that leads people at the Greenbrier to wonder what else is out there. I think 9 11 changed everything. So whatever happened after 9-11, they could have dug a whole bunch more holes in the ground after that. And, you know, we don't have a need to know here. You know, the man who ran this for years and years, I remember he said, when you're out of the loop, it's you're over. out of the loop. You know, when you don't have a need to know anymore, it's over. <laughs> it's a big club and you ain't in it. It's after 9-11, too. It's just like, new dawn, new day. I don't know if he got the memo, but it's fucking over. <laughs> yeah, he, he kind of sounded like he went a little truther there. I'm not going to lie. Like, that might be my preconceived notions that I put on top of him. Hints on it. Yeah. Um. Oh, my God. It is. I have a, a super short anecdote that I want to share that is kind of not related to anything that we've talked about, but it sort of is. We went to a Harry Potter trivia last Thursday, and I don't like Harry Potter. I've never really cared for Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I just, I went to be supportive. Mm-hmm. They got to the last question, and it was, what was Snape's last three words in the book? Professor Snape's. And they couldn't remember. And uh, <laughs> I made a joke. Actually, I wasn't joking. I made a, a quip. Bush did nine eleven. And they wrote it down. <laughs> and when they went to go read out the uh, the answers to everything, <laughs> the homeboy fucking <laughs> read out our team's answer, and I just effectively red pilled a whole bar. <laughs> Except everybody, everybody was cracking up. They they thought it was pretty funny. I was like, oh, "Nice, <laughs> this is surreal." It's like I would love that. <laughs> I wish I had recorded it. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. That's that sort of thing really strikes a chord with people. It's funny. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that was a 
The last three words Snape ever said, of course, were my butt itches. <laughs> Snape's it was words. I love you. Uh, no, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah. Oh, look at me. That's right. It was look at me. No, what, that's Dumbledore's last words. Are you sure? I could have had swore. Wasn't it Dumbledore's last words? That's what he says. He says, look at me. That's right as he gets knocked out of the tower by Snape. Snape kills Dumbledore. Knocked, spoiler, by the way. Spoiler alert. I, not that I'm a Harry Potter guy or anything. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, God damn it. We were talking about something else. We're not talking about fucking Harry Potter. I know. But it's funny. <laughs> it's funny that 9-11 came up and then everyone was like, yeah, 9-11. That's so funny. <laughs> and a super liberal bar, too. Right... Right down the road from the third precinct where everything popped off last year. It's so sad. It's, it's poetry in action. Yeah. You know, people used to call it a pendulum swing. So my parents told me growing up. They told me, you know, Mike, things will go one way and then they'll swing another way. And I'm like, dude, things have only been swinging one way for as long as I've been around. Yeah. It's a big old potential energy buildup. I mean, that's how it is, man. There's got to be some runoff. There's got to be some runoff. Oh, looks like we got fact-checked by Cheesy Biscuits. Oh, Cheesy. What you saying, Cheesy? Sorry, my shit's not in the His green eyes. Look at me. Oh, it was Snape's last words. You know, Cheesy Biscuit, I trust on this one. <laughs> you have your mother's eyes was his last words. Your Your Patronus is weak was his last words. So uh, good. Well, for our last words, we should do some scream mails. We finally got some coming oh, in. Oh, yes. I'd love... Oh, yes. Let's see. Which one are you plugged into? Hey, Daddy. Is anyone going to try a prank in my best side? Hello? 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 <laughs> I'm going to need you to send that one to me. That one's a special one. That's a good one. That's a winner. Oh, I love that laugh there. Oh. Oh, that's those are good ones. Oh, that's perfect. I love that. I'm not sure it was it was hard to make out. It sounds like they were delivering a message, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I couldn't mm. understand what they were saying. And then we had this one come in as well. <laughs> Damn! <laughs> <laughs> fucking highway to hell, that shit. Oh, yes! <laughs> Oh, yes. So good. <laughs> Highly commended. Man, those are some good ones. Hell yeah. Well, unfortunately, we didn't get an answer to why. Yeah, we did. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Dark Lord RK says, play the link you posted. What link did you post? I can't see a link. Uh, Google. You oh, you need to. I'd already told you that I didn't see the link you posted. Where did you post a link? Sorry. I just, I, I'm reading the chat here. I'm getting. I think I need access. 
I'm going to do that. What is this link? Did you get, did you send you the link and not me the link? It's been crazy. Posting, posting up here somewhere. If it's the Google Drive one, I got a need access to when I tried it earlier. Ah, here we go. Okay. I got you. I got you. You need access, so you got to go click the share, and then you got to hit the tab where it says let everyone see it. I've done this myself. Google sucks. Fuck's sake. Fuck's sake. The only access that you need to get into our screen mails is to call 612-263-7999 or SXXY. We'll play it on the next show. That's right. I think uh, I think. Big that- thanks to our screamers, by the way. Oh, fuck yeah. Bing, 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 bang, bong. Hit him with that Mario coin, son. <laughs> Well, I I think that uh, I think that wraps it for tonight's episode. Covered a lot of ground, a lot of wild yes, and wonderful indeed. West Virginia. Mm-hmm. We covered a lot of ground <laughs> in West Virginia. Uh, I want to thank Spaz for joining us tonight and sharing some stories, sharing some insights, sharing some knowledge, all things that we greatly appreciate on this uh, production. If you want ins- useless information, I got it. <laughs> and if you want useless information, you got it here at Behind the Schemes. That's what we do. We deliver useful, useless information. Spaz, did you, I have to ask, did you enjoy your time here? Did you know what we were doing? I did enjoy it. I just hope everybody else does. It's probably not a subject a lot of people have interest in or even any knowledge of. Uh, you'd be surprised, my friend. This sort of thing, I think, interests a lot of people because it's interesting as hell. And we thank you very much for coming and talking about that stuff here. So thanks sure for coming thing. on. Yeah. Nice meeting you, too. Uh, good to meet you, officially, yes. Mm-hmm. First podcast is in the bag. That's right. You got a whole rig? You got, like, the, the arm and everything going? I do. I have an arm and a couch. (laughs) (laughs) The best rig of all. (laughs) Any more prone and I'd be asleep. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks, man. And I think my witching hour is right around the corner here as well. So it might Mm -hmm. be time to wrap this motherfucker. What was this one? Ooh, we got some dark wave. Uh, what dark wave. This has been another episode of Behind the Schemes, episode 55, for July 27th now. One more day. One more day under the dirty 30. Go to loveislit.com, behindtheschemes.com, SCH3M3S. Hit us up there. Shoot us an email, behindtheschemes at protonmail.com. Come get some. Right. You send in a little biscuit, a little two dollar treat for uh, for Blueberry's birthday. You know he's he's turning the dirty thirty, and uh, and he just lit uh, Carrie Underwood's face while she blew harp. So he deserves it. Okay, I did. I lit the fuck out of her. <laughs> she was so lit. She was like, shit, man. It's she was l- mega lit. 
I was like fucking hot lit. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, baby. Oh, give it to me. Sugar, sugar. Well, until next time, I've been Booberry Mothman of the Miniocalypse. And I have been lavish. I am not Sir Lavish. And and that's been Spaz. <laughs> We've had Mr. Spaz. <laughs> oh, was I supposed to say something to him? Sorry, right. give him a little sign-off, shout-off. This is Spaz from the wild, wonderful hills of West Virginia. Yeah. This show is behind the shem shemas, the schemes. Behind the schemes with threes as ease. Find us at behindtheschemes.com with threes for ease or loveislit.com. <laughs> Love and lit is the correct vernacular. Love it lit and go podcast. <laughs> love is light. Lit. Love think, is light. I don't know what he's talking about. I think, I, think he meant to, I think he meant to say love and light, but it came out as love is lit. Loveislit.com. Go there. Check it out. Listen. Behind the schemes with Booberry and Lavish. We have Lavish. Could be Lavash. Lavash. Could be Lavash, but it could be Lavish. Booberry wants some action. Ooh, the other side of a what a sight. Right here, the chats are all fresh. The person that I would recommend is to listen to Lavish on the Behind the Schemes podcast. That guy really seems to understand exactly what's going on. I never expected this from that podcast, but I learned something listening to it. <laughs> this is Behind the Schemes. The esoterica of your dreams. <laughs>